BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Look, a little bit of an apology coming your way um, for, I guess, being kind of quiet on the posting front. Um, we embarked on a massive Euro trip. Uh, a couple weeks, we were just flat chat every single day. Um, we ended up extending the trip by a few days as well. So our whole schedule's kind of just gone to shit. Um, but I think it was worth it. This podcast that you're listening to right now with Sebastian Tortelli is, uh, was filmed on one of those extra days that we spent in Europe. So I hope that it has all been worth it for you guys. This is the first of our start content that we will be dropping. And, uh, yeah, first of all, a massive thank you to those guys for inviting us over. Um, the experience was pretty incredible. First class all the way. I've been to a few launches and that definitely took the cake. So, um, we decided to stay an extra couple of days. We ended up sitting down with Sebastian Tortelli, who is the lead development writer for the Stark project. Um, we spoke, spoke pretty extensively, um, about the bike, but then also went into Seb's incredible career. We could have kept going, um, but we were losing the light. We were just in the, uh, hotel foyer, um, in Barcelona the dude, like just a, a legend. I left with the massive man crush on Seb. Um, probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And just, hey, he had a crazy, crazy career. And it wasn't until I started doing a little bit of research um, for this podcast that I really got to see the full extent um, of just how much of a G Sebastian Tortelli really was. So hopefully this isn't the last time I do a podcast with Seb. I would love to do another one with him, the guy, like I said, just a full G. So um, a quick word from the sponsors and then into this banger with Sebastian Tortelli. Today's podcast is brought to you by the legends at Manscaped. And gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner and our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all the father figures out there are looking daddy material this June. Manscaped's Performance 4.0 package, which includes their signature lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here is no dad joke. Treat him and yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. Trust me, his dad bod, potentially your dad bod, will thank you. Uh, look, guys, this is pretty much Manscaped over the years. We've been with these guys for a while, and we've just watched their products get better and better and better. They literally can look after you head from toe these days. Uh, I particularly found 
uh, all of their products. Pretty useful while traveling. I uh, just got back from the Euro trip and, uh, and Manji took Manscaped with me the whole time. So make sure you jump onto manscaped.com. Use the code Gypsy Gang to get 20% off. I repeat, use the code Gypsy Gang to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Gypsy Gang at manscaped.com. Shake what your daddy gave you. All right, we also have a new sponsor to let y'all know about. Um, kind of a new sponsor, kind of an old sponsor. If you remember all of the Cricks uh, ads that we did at the end of every ad, I mentioned Kyle. Well, Kyle has just got himself a new dealership uh, and he is now with Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton. So naturally, we went with Kyle, we went with our boy. Um, so we are now repping the crew at Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton. They sell new uh, Ford, Isuzu, Mitsubishi and Kia um, and Kyle's got a really great plan to support the uh, motocross community here in Queensland. Uh, they've sponsored the Queensland title race uh, in Rocky in July uh, which is going to be a great one uh, and they've also sponsored the Keppel Dirt Bike Club uh, Club Day which is next weekend. So if you are in the market for a new car a used car, ring and ask for Kyle, uh, mention Gypsy Tales, and he is going to give you a $500 voucher for MX Store uh, when you get a rig for yourself. So once again, Tropical Auto Group in Rocky. We've just got a brand new D-Max. The thing is pretty pimping. Um, little upgrade for me, to be honest. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, and we're also going to work with one of our sponsors, CTO, uh, and do a bit of a dope truck build as well. Um, this year so more on all that coming soon but thank you so much to kyle and the team at tropical auto group we are also brought to you by the guys at crush oz you can head to crushoz.com.au you can peruse through their entire range of cleaning products for your mountain bike for your car for your dirt bike Uh, i'm using the uh the bike bucket basically flat out um for cleaning my bike i do however have the big 20 liter drum um of their premium bike wash as well so if you want to get yourself in uh the cleaning groove with the guys at crush just head to crush.com.au we're also brought to you by the guys at boost mobile you can head to boost.com.au these guys hands down are the best prepaid uh, service provider in Australia. They're on the full uh, Telstra 4G network. Um, long-time supporters of this show. It is our go-to. Um, and there is, at this point, hundreds of Gypsy Gang members that made the switch from a plan over to Boost. And I still get messages all the time uh, about the guys saying how stoked they are on that change. So once again, boost.com.au. We are also brought to you by the guys at MX Store. And the MX Store guys are running their first annual Battle in the Bush weekend, full of riding held at the legendary Conondale. Uh, you can head to their Instagram uh, or head to mxstore.com.au uh, for more information. But it is featuring not only a three hour moto relay, uh, but the third and final round of the 125cc Cup Triple Clown. Triple Clown? Triple Crown. Um, and it's also a 250 class, two stroke only. Um, and then they're also doing a 250 CC and overclass. Let the big dog eat. Uh, more information is at mxstore.com.au. And while you're there, order whatever you need to ride this weekend. Um, as it stands, I am recording this on a Wednesday. So don't know when you'll be listening to this, but let's say you do order on a Wednesday um, and you do that same day shipping that MX Store is known for. 
You're probably going to get your stuff before the weekend. So once again, mxstore.com.au. We're also brought to you by the guys at Fist Handwear. You can head to fisthandwear.com. Peep that new range that they've just dropped. Uh, shout out to the uh, those snow weather gloves that kept me warm at Manji. Uh, and also the guys at Rival Inc. Design Co. Uh, who have just dropped all of their winter apparel range. Um, I had a new kit on the Gas Gas that I raced at Manji. Shit was lit. Um, those boys and girls never let us down. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Good. Sebastian Tortelli joins the Gypsy Tales podcast, mate. I'm uh, I'm stoked. This wasn't in the original uh, game plan, so I'm stoked that we've actually got to make this happen. Yeah, no, it was uh, definitely a surprise and a good surprise. So I'm happy. I've been watching some of the shows, so pretty excited about you know going uh, going it out with you today. Man, you've uh, I went deep this morning. Uh, shout out to uh, I don't know if you're a big YouTube guy, but it's WD. 40 or 400 or something MX and he puts together all of these highlight clips yeah and so there's a 40 minute highlight of your career on uh, with some of the big crashes a lot of the big wins and it gives you a pretty good idea of how crazy good your career was and I've been a long time fan I remember being a kid in Australia and and watching um, the days on Kawasaki and then the days on Honda and then Suzuki and uh, being a Sebastian Tortelli fan but I think that as you get a little bit older and you appreciate the context of how an entire career kind of uh, happened and took place it's quite a special career that you that you did have I mean it's not a classic career that's for sure I mean mm. um, you know de- definitely you know being a country boy you know uh, from France you know far in the country and then get into the sport and starting to race uh, I, I've never imagined even racing as a professional sport for me I mean it was not even in in my family so you know that was something new and then uh, from there you know going to the european championship world championship making it there in the world championship and then going to the u.s and being part of the the factory teams and uh, with a run f- uh, the front runners um yeah i mean it's uh, racing career was was something uh, you know it, it's great you know it was not planned and i think that's the best way and and today, you know, even uh, today working with stock was definitely not uh, not planned mm. either. So, you know, things as a way to to come together in, in for a purpose. And I love it. You know, that's the way it's been around going for me. And and I'm being stoked about, you know, the experience that I got and where I'm going. Well, I think I definitely want to dive into the career side of things. But I think before we do that, maybe while it's very fresh in our mind maybe we talk about this project that that you're now a part of which is an in, incredible project i think um with the the new stark varg you're the lead test writer and, and developer um i got to write it just last week um for the first time which i was super excited about so yeah maybe we maybe let's just start with the stark and i mean wherever you want (laughs) it's good I mean for me it's uh, you know it's been a great great excitement also to to get involved into it you know it's uh, 
you would have asked me uh, about electric two years ago, I would say, no way, <laughs> not <Yeah>. possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, b because, you know, from the experience that, you know, we have on the market and, and things like that. But uh, today I'm like, yeah, it's here. It's crazy. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations about it since I wrote it last Wednesday, um, naturally. And we went to Formula One and there were a lot of, you know, Cooper Webb was there and Ricardo, and there was a lot of boys that were like, hey, is it good? Uh, Maverick Vinales was there. Alex Rins was there. It was crazy that um, the, the response and the eagerness and the people that are asking questions um, about yeah. the bike. And the, the one thing that I, I guess was a little bit striking to me is that I feel like the industry has skipped a lot of steps. I thought that there was going to be more of a hybrid that came, which you can see the Mugen and then there's a Yamaha uh, chassis with the battery. Like That's where I thought we'd be first. And I thought it was going to be this really clunky kind of novelty. We'd, we'd have it okay for a little bit before it was really good, but we just went straight to the Stark. And, and that to me is a... It's because, I mean, we got, you know, different people involved. You know, mm. it's not like you, what you're talking about is a natural transition mm -hmm. from uh, people who've been used to build thermic bikes. Yes. And, uh, you know, Stark Future is a brand new company. You know, uh, Anton was created it and uh, with a different set of mind, you know, mm -hmm. not not any background into thermic engines. So definitely the, the strike was, you know, very clear because... We went straight for one goal, you know, our goal was to make a, a motocross bike, mm -hmm. not a hybrid, not nothing. And then Anton is very uh, toward ecological uh, products, so he's pushing very hard to make everything eco-friendly as much as possible. And electric become natural, you know, when you go into that set of mind, uh, doing a hybrid is not something mm -hmm. that you want to do. You mm -hmm. want to go full on and, and Anton is very dedicated uh, person and he has a very straight mind he knows what he wants and that's what he wanted for stock future as a company so definitely i think it's a shock you know i think we've seen few companies who tried uh definitely you know who got created and and kind of get we'll say a hybrid of motocross you know a hybrid between mountain bike and motocross mm -hmm. but you know when anton approached me my first question was you know what is your plan you mm -hmm. know two years ago and I, say, and I told him straight up, you know, if we are going for an hybrid that is on the market today, I'm not interested. I'm not going to put my name behind it. You know, I'd, I'd rather not do it. He says, no, 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 we want to go all out. So it's a all motocross or nothing. So for me, that was like, okay, you know, I'm on board with that. And, and I'm very motivated. He showed me the sketch. He showed me some of the parts were going in. And I'm like, okay, you know, I see that they are on the right path. Uh, they have the right experience for electric also. And all put together, it was an awesome combo. And uh, the first time I rode the bike, I was impressed because, you know, the, the first time I got onto the bike, it's, you know, it's a brand new company, brand new bikes. What do you expect? You know, you expect a lot of, okay, things are wrong. You need to modify this. You need to modify this. And straight from the get-go, the bike was already with, you know, chassis was good. Handling was good. Uh, engine was super good. So there's a lot of things that came straight out of the box from their first shot who was already extremely good. And that was, I mean, for me, it was like from the paper to to actually a real mm -hmm. bike, it was amazing. And that's one of the strengths of the, the company. You know, they are able to do products very good, very quick, and uh, they have enough experience so they don't do all the mistakes that, you know, somebody new will start doing. 
Yeah. So, w- what were you doing before this? Well, I mean, this I must came. Have come out of nowhere. Yeah. No, it came out of nowhere. But I came from. Uh, I lived, you know, for after racing. I stayed in the U.S. for yep. quite a bit, some years, and had a training school there. And um, I stayed there for over fifteen years. And I was uh, at a stage in my life where my kids were old enough, mm. and they were switching. You know, they were switching. Be- uh, you know, they had to switch school. And uh, there was like uh, between 12 and, and 14, so they had to change. And I'm like, you know, it was a good point for them to actually discover the European country mm-hmm. and uh, discover the European way of things also yeah. because they've been brought up in the U.S. and California for all that time. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's move back. Uh, my parents were getting older also, so I'm like, okay, let's get them the experience of Europe. And so we decided to move to uh, Barcelona because it's a very international country. Uh, I mean, city. It is, isn't it? It's like, you know, you, and the weather is, is great. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, from California, won't be a shock. And it's not too big of a city. It's a big city, but at, at the end of the day, it's a small city. Mm. So I'm like, okay, that'd be a good transition from them, uh, for them. And uh, that's what basically moved me, uh, you know, to Barcelona. And from there... Did you have a plan of what you were going to do when no, you were in Barcelona? No, not at all. I was like, okay okay, we go, That's you know, crazy. we look, you know, I'm, we'll be back in Europe, we'll settle in and, you know, something will come up, you know, and I mean, I had a career behind me, so I was not, you know, not looking to do something, you know, like next day. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, we'll take time and what, you know, something will come up and That's something awesome. will go. So at the beginning, I was not even into training and then I got some, uh, some guys that I were training called me back up and say, hey, you're, you're in Europe, we want to, you know, have you around for training and stuff. So I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. And then at the end of the day, okay, you know, they, they insisted, so I did. And so I got into the, you know, race, uh, not racing, but training guys who were doing GPs and stuff like that. And, and I was working with Fox, uh, racing at the same time as an ambassador for Europe. Yeah. So all that connected, you know, people and Supercross and the experience got me to, you know, somebody one day come up and say, hey, you should talk to Anton. I'm like, yeah, well, for what? You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, you know, where I'm doing and it's pretty easy life. Yeah, maybe his project will interest you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. It, that's a, it's a trip just in the sense that, you know, you just kind of decide to move and you don't really have anything on the horizon and you're very carefree in the attitude about it. And then something like this kind of just falls into the lap and it does I think you know many things happen for a reason in life and you know sometimes you see it sometimes you don't see it and most of the time you have to find a reason for things you know bad things happen but you know mm. there's a reason why and um, you have to be the one turning it around and make it a positive experience and you know moving to Europe for me was like I, I mean I grew up in Europe I mean until I was 18 mm-hmm. so f- it was just, you know, I traveled quite a bit in my life. I lived in Florida, I lived in California. I mean, it's for me moving to Spain is, you know, like another move. I could have moved to Australia. I loved Australia. So yeah. it, would, it would have been like, I like Australia because I think you have the European and the, uh, the US yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And it's a good happy medium. I mean, each time I went to Australia, I loved it. You know, I always had a lot of fun. So I'm like, that was an option. But at the time, you know, you need to get a visa. It's not uh, as easy to get yeah. in. And it's kind of far from everything else. That's one That's one thing when you're kind of there, you're there. It's not as much... Uh, t- to go to the US from here is not as yeah, big it's a deal. Hours. Yeah, yeah, so I think it's... Uh, Australia just that's a little bit too far away. It's interesting that you say that about the cultures 
mixing mm-hmm. because I think that when it comes to the multicultural aspect and the food and the coffee and the maybe a bit of the more maybe the relaxed vibe um, in Australia, I think that's probably a lot of the European influence. But then there is definitely a very Western uh, in terms of like pop culture and it's very modern and it's very so it's uh, it is a pretty good mix yeah, of I, both I really, places. I mean, I loved it. Every time I go there, I'm so excited to go. Actually, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that we need to get you back at some point. I feel like I'm sure you know. Start We'll, uh, we'll bring him back out there and we have a lot of plans and ahead of us and a lot of new products also coming in so and and australia has been a very good response to the to the varg already mm. so i'm i'm sure there's some some things going to happen pretty soon well i think second biggest country yeah it is actually yeah, yeah us is number one and australia is second so when anton came to you um where was the stock at in the timeline of, of development and like so how much did you have input into the bike before you rode it for the first time or did you ride it and then that's where the kind of input started no no I, uh, when i got it when i got in there was still to the design part of it yep so you had the engineer working on the on the engine or chassis and stuff like that which i didn't have much input on that part but um already the plastic you know when you get to like actually designers yeah, you know yeah. they have a different way of looking at things that you know is not practical when you get on the bike yeah so the the first part was okay you know i, I saw the design and did the 3d printed and all that stuff the seeds where how the seed was going down and the shape and stuff like that and i'm like okay you know that part we don't need to ride the bike you know you can see already yeah. what needs to be done so we changed uh, we changed that part and then after when this came through you know we talked about you know what parts we should use you know we we picked the kybs yep. uh, we had different options but i'm like no if you know if you want to go with a good suspension that is capable of riding different conditions and with a with a setting you know the kyb is the broader you know kind of set of suspension who would give you comfort for different customers different kind of terrain so did, did you base sorry to interrupt you but while we're there did you base that on your experience exactly. racing or mm-hmm. was that what you think is the best stock because i think they are the best stock suspension currently yeah um but for so, me they are i mean it's so from base experience and, and so you had experience with kyb factory yes. actually i had kyb when i was racing kawasaki i was with kyb yep. then i raced with uh, honda and suzuki i was showa for mm. that's I what i that's seven what I years yep. and then after uh, i raced on ktm and i was with wp yep so basically so you had experience with everybody exactly oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I got to you know the front end part of it and then the back end part of it also yep. so i uh, you know from experience i'm like okay you know i know this kind uh, will fit a little bit uh, you know more in the range of things yep. and also when i retired i was not a factory rider no uh, no more so, you just so have i the didn't have stuff. the factory yep. stuff anymore so yep. i went through the stock stuff Ugh. and uh, i rode you know some yamaha i rode some kawis and uh, ktms obviously and so i had also the stock experience you know from what yep. we can do yep. with the yep. stock suspension and that's why when the question came up i'm like okay you know it's that's KYB. where we need to go so with with the kyb at, at the factory level how much is the difference between a, a factory shower and a factory kyb and is it 
just your experience of like the people that they had that you're working with or you know what what makes it a better experience at that level i think there's a little bit of mix of everything you know the technician that you have is already very important you know a technician knowing what he's doing for that brand is super important uh, from my past experience, I know that a Showa is a great suspension, but you always have to be on point. Mm. Uh, it's like, you know, a suspension that is very sensible. You need to be a, a guy who has a very good feeling about it so you can manage it and, and get an awesome re- uh, result. Um, I felt that the KYB, when you get a good setup, it's very easy to manage. You're, you're always in confidence that so you can have different of terrains and it gets you good. After I went to uh, WP, which was the, the time where we still have um, no linkage on the bike and then uh, very big uh, forks on the, the front. 52s. 52s. Yeah. And, and for me, I'm like, uh, I like to be on the softer sides, you know, where I can feel some of the flex and yeah. some of the movement. And uh, at that time, it was way more on the on the stiffer side. And uh, for me, it was a little bit harder and, and I had too much feedback from mm. it. So, you know, and then after we had the discussion of air and no air, and I'm definitely more uh, the older generation. Mm-hmm. And for me, when, you know, no air with oil, it's easier to manage. The comfort of riding is, uh, is better. So, you know, for sure, when you go air, you got less weight, you know, and if you're looking for air, uh, for, for less weight is a way to go. But for the end consumer, I believe that, you know, oil is still is a great advantage. And then I think too, with the way that, stark is developing an entire bike from scratch i think that any of the weight that may come with a fork with oil and spring you can probably cut that weight out of the bike somewhere else as opposed to trying to no for sure they are always looking for weights on the stock bikes you know to make it definitely better so you always have you know i mean sometimes it's important to have some weight also. You need to know where you can mm. allow to have the weight on the bike because you want to gain strength, because you want to get you know something out of it. And some areas where, okay, we need to shave off on that area because it's not you know as manageable. I mean, the bike on itself is super nimble mm-hmm. uh, because they knew how to move the center gravity point at the right place. And that was one of the main thing. I mean, you ride the bike and it's between your legs super easy. You can get sharp turns. You can, mm-hmm. you can do a lot of things that you don't get with a thermic bike, which is, you know, a little bit heavier, uh, especially the heaviness comes from the torque that you have and the, so many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, all the moving parts are pretty high. So when you come to a corner uh, to drop the bike, you have to be committed to get the lean that you want. So it's, you know, at the end of the electric is something that you know, open new doors and that's something that we have to adapt and, you know, basically progress. And I think we did a very big step forward already for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you know, from the other day, I'm a bit of a suspension nerd. I, I enjoy, <laughs> I've enjoyed my suspension, uh, dialing it in. It's something that I'm really, it's interests me to, to learn about it. And, uh, and I think the, the difference between a good and a bad bike, I think is, I think one of the messages I'm trying to get to people um, through the podcast is like, I'm not the best rider, but I've, I think having good suspension just makes you safer. And then the, the safety aspect is what's going to make it more fun. You're going to have more confidence. You're going to feel like you can try more things on the bike. So I think that, that the old mentality around suspension is 
well, and this was how I was raised as a kid is like, well, you're not fast enough for good suspension. So go out and ride, which there's some logic to that. I think, you know, the first thing you need to get is suspension before an engine. Mm. Because if you, I mean, my first year, I mean, my first two years I raced in the GP, I was racing uh, 125 uh, with a Kawasaki. Uh, my bike was definitely far from being the fastest bike out there on the track. But my suspension were amazing. So I could go through bumps, I could push, and that built the confidence that I needed to go through it. And that's, you know, some guys had better uh, engine than me, but I can guarantee that you have better suspension. Mm. Uh, and, and that make a big difference. You know, when you see a bump and you know that you can go through it without hesitation, yeah. it's a big step forward. And, and, and I think uh, the that's kind of a, a really good point, is that I think the better the suspension that you have, the more predictability that you have and yeah. and that predictability is what kind of gives you confidence when you know like you said you can hit a bump or you know that you can go a little bit long on a jump or you know that you can jump a little bit further um on a, like a ski jump or something like that yeah and that's why you know anton came with the idea that okay you know today when you buy a bike the first thing they do people just basically mm. take off the suspension and they give them revolve or spring change for their weight yeah and you know anton said no no we need to do that straight from the for the customer so when they order they can order with a certain weight and get the proper spring and valving that Makes they need so to ride it sense. and and definitely you know like when you wrote it you know your setting was uh, was for a guy who is like you know over 90 kilo and you're not 90 kilo <laughs> and you came back to me it's like oh no no something is wrong and i'm like okay you know let's check where it is and then you know i adjusted the, the suspension for you and it's like oh now i can oh, leave yeah. again <laughs> man i was so uh, i was saying to the boys after the the day i was like man i was on borderline just not gonna say anything because yeah. i get so much shit from my friends about suspension i'm always like kind of tinkering i'm always am, am messing around and i was like oh i just don't want to be that guy but i really think something's <laughs> wrong with these forks. and he was so i felt i was so relieved <laughs> i was like bummed that there was something wrong because i'd been out of the track but then i was relieved that yeah, there was well, something you, wrong you know, and I actually had the right <laughs> feedback. Yeah, and then when you attacked the afternoon, it was all, you know, all good. So, yeah, so yeah. good. It was actually cool to, um, it was cool to kind of almost not have the bike work that good at the start. I think it, if it, it gave me some real, um, I guess, I guess some contrast into how good it actually kind of was because I went out on the first couple of sessions and it still felt amazing. I just had a lot of feedback mm -hmm. uh, through through my hands and then there's a lot going on with the fly-by-wire. That was something that I think is quite hard to kind of get used to. Um, and We then tried I to work it where it's like a very um, carbureted style. Yes. I think that the um, the... I think that the algorithm that actually delivers the power is spot on. But I think the thing that was hard for me to get used to was the, the there's no mechanical feeling of a cable. No. And I actually didn't realize how much, and I think this is probably going to be a big theme as we talk the next little bit about the bike, but I actually think that I understand a gas-powered motorcycle better now because I've ridden an electric motorcycle that has so many different things so i think that i learned a lot about motorcycles in general um by riding the electric bike and i think um one of the 
only ways I think you can figure out what a good bike is is to ride a good bike I think that when you on my own personal bike you get so used to riding it the way that it is it's not until you've got something that's that's much better or that's so different that it can provide you with contrast to actually figure out where you want to be Um, and there were some interesting things by going back to back with the gas and the electric that I, I could feel so much more of a gas bike and you can really feel its limitations in a sense when you ride something else because you've never been given that contrast before no it's it's one of the first and you know what is um, surprising i mean for me at the beginning was like you definitely you know the possibilities are so so much you know when when you look at it with just algorithm you can change everything you know mm. I, back in my days when you wanted to change something to an engine you know the japanese because i was mainly on japanese bike they you know you have to uh, do the testing and okay we're going to change the part and then you have to wait six months mm. until you get the factory parts for all the riders to be able to test it and, and see what's happening and that's the time they, they needed to do the development today you know in 10 minutes it says okay you know i need more here i need less here you know 10 minutes they, they are able to you know not even a minute mm. when you have the laptop you have the phone you do it and it's finished i mean okay let's go let's try it and that's something that for me at the beginning i was like i was kind of shocked because you know because it was that easy it was that easy you mm. know when i mean obviously today we have an engineer who does all the coding and and do all that stuff uh, that's because we're on the on the start of it mm. but when it comes to the phone you know that the bike has actually integrated is with the phone on the display this algorithm would be already in it mm. with the possibility to change them to one from the other algorithm and that would make a lot of difference you know and and the rider preference would be different so i mean today we are just the power we are just the the engine brake you know we are just a lot of th- the delay on the throttle things like that that is something that you don't normally do you know i mean i want less you know mid power i need more top end i need the back end to to stop a little bit sooner i mean all this is for for me in the past it will take forever or mm. you will have to bring it to a guy who does an engine mm-hmm. and then he will have to modify put new parts in uh, which is and expensive then there's, just a, there's a lot of time in the mechanical changes yeah. that i mean need changing the valve the valve springs the seating of the valve i mean all this you know it's costly and it, it takes time where now you know it's like it doesn't cost anything. I mean, it's just like, you know, you can do it yourself and try it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you don't like it. You're raised. You start fresh from the original curve and then you do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a it's a crazy, crazy piece of machinery. I'm excited for more people to, to ride it as well. And it's been interesting to kind of get different bits of feedback from the other people because it's still a very small group of people in the world that's that's ridden the the bike um i guess maybe we'll just go through some of the um i guess the the feedback you know that most of the time what happened is people already have in mind Mm. like an electric bike is working like this yeah you know and they come and they are not convinced at first and it's general altitude, you know, people, they come and they are a little bit like, I need to look at that thing, you know, does it jump normal, you know, does it act yeah, normal? Yeah. And I, I understand, you know, from people, point of, a perspective of, of you that because it's so new, 
that you know they are a little bit like okay i need to try it you know yeah. and i don't want to be like so excited that it's it's in it will influence my thinking that, yeah i was kind of like that as well yeah, exactly and, and that's 100 percent. yeah but when you jump on the bike and you start riding you know the first one is like oh okay you know that's no, that feels good and then the more you start riding the more you realize yeah. that well you know it's just like it's my real. bike yeah it's just you know and and most of the time the the comment is well you know i feel at home mm-hmm. you know and that's a, a great feeling because the guys you know just got the bike for the day and you know at the end of the day they are like no i mean like i feel at home that's you know that's where i feel comfortable and and some of the guys like well, you know, I'm I'm a very gas kind of guy, but you know, now I'm like, okay, you know, now I, I'm look at it like I, I want to ride it. <laughs> oh man, a hundred percent. And so, that's a general. So, uh, I guess where do we start then? Um, just trying to think. So, the big feedback that I've got, or the questions that I've got, since I posted some photos the other day. Um, we stretched our limit. We yeah. were allowed to do one post, so I did one post with a bunch of photos. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, well, you weren't, you weren't specific enough. Hey, you said one post. I did one post. <laughs> you didn't see how long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it went absolutely nuts. I think it got like four and a half thousand likes and hundreds of comments, and a, there was a lot of feedback. There was a lot of messages that I ended up replying to after it. So I'm trying to, I guess, go through and remember some of the more common questions just mm-hmm. to maybe address um, to some people. I think the one of the, the biggest one is the engine, is like how fast is it compared to a 450? But I honestly find that quite hard to, to answer. To say, yeah, I mean... It's so different. It's an electric engine, you know. So, I mean, definitely you can ride it like a gas bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the more you ride it, the more you understand the feel of the engine. And you can develop also the, the riding. And, and for me, you know, the more I ride it, the less tired I get. You know, I'm not... Did you get tired on it at first? A little bit more than a normal bike? Because I was riding a little bit more on the aggressive side. I'm an aggressive, pretty aggressive rider, you know, even if I'm not racing anymore, but I still, you it's know... just the style. The style, you know, I always... I mean, if you look at a video of me, I'm on the aggressive side. I'm not the like calm calm guy who carry the momentum but that bike you know the varg make me feel you know that riding on that style make me go so much faster mm. and and less tired and and now when i'm on the on the on the varg i, I mean i don't get tired mm. you know and i'm not in shape i'm not training the only basically shape that i have is seat time right now and it's just for me it's natural and feeling and and fast and i can push i can decide what i do and i'm just focused on my riding you know as a professional rider i mean shifting clutching you don't even think about it you just mm-hmm. it's like a you know second nature mm-hmm. you do it you don't you know you don't you this don't, is an important point yeah, because you don't, i think don't, you don't think about it i think for the average guy you still do think about it quite a lot i mean for me you ask me what what gear are you in that corner what gear are you in that jump I cannot tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm at the right one, but I don't know yeah, what it is. The right one. <laughs> yeah. I'm at the right one. The RPM yeah. is where it needs to be. But why gear? I need to go on the track and start counting to know where I'm at. And that's the difference with uh, the Stark, the Varg. You don't need to because mm-hmm. there's only one gear. And you're always in the right RPM. And you just basically, you know, the throttle is what 
make you feel mm-hmm. the speed you need to go. Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, to answer people's question of is it as fast as a 450, it, it definitely is. I don't think that... Um, I think acceleration-wise, with, the, again, the algorithm and not changing gears, I just... I don't... I guess you'd have to be on some pretty deep dirt, maybe. But even then, I don't know. Like... But I think we're whole shotting 450s quite easily, just because. I you think it don't should be. It, it should be. Gears. We haven't tested, you know, back to back, like you know, two good riders on on each of them, and that's because we are we are finishing development on the algorithm and everything. So we will come with a start device for the Varg, mm. where you have you know the different possibilities to start on the dirt, on the on the not concrete, but the the, the grill they yeah. put on the on the GP style because some races are like that on the muddy side so we'll have different curve um, but that's definitely the idea you know when the bike will go to a certain speed it will come off and go to the regular curve mm-hmm. and you know this is make very lot of sense because you don't shift basically you just go yeah and that's a, that's a big advantage and and for me you know people when i ride it i don't feel like i go super fast mm. and uh, and i go fast but I think when people go fast is because they don't feel they are going fast, actually. Yeah, when yeah. you start feeling that you are going fast... You're probably not yeah, going like There's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like on the danger zone. When you're going fast, you don't feel you're going fast. And that's what the VAR gives to me, you know, on, on top of basically going fast, is I'm just... The speed is like I come back, you know, sometimes from doing lap times, and I'm like, okay, you know, oh, I did some mistake, I was not fast. And then the last time it comes around, it says, yeah, you were, mm. you know, and, and that's the thing where with the 450s I do, it's easier for me to do a lot more mistakes. And that's when I get slower because I'm, you know, trying to compensate stuff and yeah. there's no, on the start, you just do it. Well, that's one thing I found quite interesting is that it almost felt like you can't make a mistake, a mistake on the VAG because there's nothing to... It's just throttle and brake. And even if you slam on the brake, you will never stall the engine. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You don't stall. So even if you go into the brake and you're like in a panic yeah. and you slam every brakes, yeah. you will never stall the bike. You do that on the 450 and you're a touch late on the clutch. You stalled, you stalled the bike instantly. You were riding yeah, the... True. <laughs> you catch me. Yeah, you were riding the bug all day and then you went to test the Yamaha and then you went up the hill and then it, it flamed out instantly. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, it's, you, you always have a, a time uh, of adaptation yeah. when you ride from one to the other. Yeah. And it's something, you know, for me, I, li- I love the, the rear brake on the foot because yeah, I grew up on, with that. But I know you love the, the hand, <laughs> yeah. the rear brake on the hand. But I think there is, you know, I mean, there is a 50-50, you know, uh, chance, I mean, choice. Yeah. Um, you know, 50% of the people like it with the rear brake on the on the foot. 50% like it with the foot, the rear brake on the hand. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, what you're ever comfortable, I mean, whatever you are comfortable with. And, you know, some I definitely agree when you turn right and you have the, the foot brake at the end, uh, the rear brake. I mean, it's so easy. <laughs> I think that it, it's probably for me um, the real reason why I want the handbrake. I'm actually going to put one on my 350. So I've got an oh. auto, I've got a recluse clutch in yep. my 350 at home and I'm going to change my clutch 
to a rear brake when I get home just to okay. experiment with it. But, but how are you going to do then? You're going to do two levers on, on one no, of the you don't w? need you don't need a clutch lever. Not at all. Nothing. Nah. Have you okay. have you ever ridden with one of those recluse? I think clutches? I rode one of the recluse at the beginning. Yep. So that was like you know all, they're, it, they're a lot better. I, mean, I know yeah. they got a lot better. I know a lot of GP riders ride yep. with them, and they actually Ferrandis, love it. Yeah, Ferrandis runs They love one it. In, it's yeah. very nice, and our only good thing about it. Yeah. So that's for sure. But I was I never got the chance to try it. Yeah. So I'll the be new evolution. I'll be putting a rear handbrake on my 350 with my recluse clutch. Mm. But for me, good combo. It, it's not about braking. I don't think braking is the important factor. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest factor in in it. And this is what, well, I rode better on the Varg. So I guess that's probably, I should just say that now. And I looked at the footage. I mean, even I had Hill in the room looking at the footage and he's like laughing at me in the slow-mo. He's like, dude, they just look, you look so good on that thing. And uh, it's purely because in, in my mind, after thinking about it, and that was funny. I spoke to Ben Townley called me. He FaceTimed me the, the <laughs> night after I wrote it. And uh, and he was like, tell me it's as good as I want it to be. Tell me it's that good. And, uh, and I was like, well, yeah, it, it is really good. And I showed him some photos. And um, and he said, tell me you rode with the, the handbrake. And I said, 100% I did. Because I think that, the, and the reason I think it translated to me riding the bike better is I basically got on my toes. I got in the right position with my feet. And I stayed in the right position with my feet. I stayed in the right position from all the way from acceleration. I stayed in the right position all the way through braking. And then I actually found that because I was in that position, I wasn't shuffling back and forward between gear changes and braking. It just took out so many variables because I ride once a week. I don't ride and do 90-minute motos a day Mm -hmm. for weeks. You know, if I had that much time, then maybe I would develop to the level where I don't have to think about gear changes and I don't have to think about rear braking. But I still do. And and I, I think that there's a lot of riders like me that are just weekend warrior riders where there is still some conscious thought that has to go into braking and and to go into gear changing and then i'm not even going to change gears here when i should because then i've got i'm just going to go exactly (laughs) so this just completely removes those elements and i think then it it kind of frees up a little bit of room to be more creative with technique so there's um you've got the tabletop down the hill mm-hmm. and then you go you've got the, the those rollers and mm-hmm. then you go no 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 bef- oh the other yep, one the yep, one so on you the back. go down downhill tabletop downhill single tabletop Top. and then yep. that those three, whoops three there rollers. so those rollers i was able to break with both hands and there and there's a right hand turn too yep, after it, so you can drag the the rear through which really helps to, to stabilize the bike, the bike. and uh, but those rollers I just I was on my toes but under braking I dropped my heels all the way back and then and then the bike all, settled down for it and all of the weight come off my arms because every I could feel everything through my legs and then it just made braking feel so much more stable for me because I, I didn't have one foot down and one foot reaching for the yeah. like it's a it's all you awkward. could move all the way back yeah but I think it's a like I say, I mean, Anton at the beginning uh, wanted to get, you know, the 
only a handbrake yeah. and I'm the, the one who pushed really hard for the rear brake and yeah. I got it I was so happy because I think you know <laughs> you there's, take a, those little wins, <laughs> there's a transition yeah. there's a transition and I think already electric is a big transition yeah. and you have steps to go through it mm-hmm. and you cannot change everything in one time I, I, I agree so and there's going to be why. people that don't want to change I and, mean and you don't okay. want to change and that's but, okay um, yeah I think that um yeah, I, I just think it, there's some variables that it removes for the average person. I mean, even wheelies. Like, I was doing wheelies at the yeah, end you of the... Yeah, you, know, you can hear a break, no problem. It was so, so easy. So, I think that, um, yeah, for the... I was actually thinking about it as well after I left that this is the kind of bike where my dad's in his... Well, my dad's 60. He's 60 okay. on the weekend. And he still likes to ride, but he doesn't ride a lot of motocross and stuff with us. It's just, there's a lot going on, you know, like he's an older kind of guy, but this would be perfect for him. But he, he just sits on the bike, he gets yeah. in the position, and you just go, and the throttle's smooth, you got your brakes there. It just, there's it's so many... It's perfect for yeah. many conditions. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, guys wanted to enter the sport and, and discover what it is. Is the same thing, you yeah. know. It, when you have to worry about getting the clutch and the gas for yeah. the first time on the bike, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, people have a really a hard time, and uh, now you simplify everything, and you just have to you just do it, and then you have right away some fun and some excitement, and you can just focus on doing things. And you know, a fast guy can do can ride the bike. You tune it up or you're tuning down mm-hmm. and then a slow guy can ride it with uh, you know half of the power of it and both both are safe and both gets uh, what they need so a dad who go out with his son you know they both of the guys can ride the same bike you don't have to go through okay i need to buy 85 then after i need to buy a 125 and mm-hmm. i need to buy a 250 or 450 i mean it's all up, up there for you to decide and you just you know push the the buttons on the screen and then here you go and I think it's open up a lot of doors to uh, to a lot of people that today are not into the sport because it's kind of a little bit difficult to access and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you need to think of when you ride yeah. and some of the friends that I know they are like no no I don't want to ride because you know they're going to stall the bike and the bike is heavy I mean it's a lot of things like that you get on the, on the electric on the Varg it's all natural yeah. it, it's like it's I like think it's even scooter. more natural because it's like you know if you ride a mountain bike yeah uh, it's just a, a big mountain bike yeah. uh, that is accessible to do, you know, jumping, triples, going to the whoops, going to fast corners, berm, whatever. But it's, at the end of the day, it's very, very easy. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very great for people that they will discover the sport again. Oh, I completely agree. I think uh, while we're talking about the motor side of things, um, the... Uh, there's a couple of interesting things that I, I didn't anticipate with the bike that mm-hmm. I think are actually going to kind of end up playing out when the bike's in Supercross and things like that, where I think the bike is actually going to maybe change the way people can ride in Supercross a little bit. So on a conventional bike, when you get your front end goes a little bit low goes down, yeah. and then you rev your bike it hits the rev limiter like that's a sound yeah. that we all know and you limit how far you go exactly so i never thought of this until riding the varg so once you once you're on the rev limiter then you lose all Four, of the yeah, effectiveness the of that bike lifting so i went three into the those rollers mm-hmm. and there was uh, one i kind of got a little bit kicked so then I, I gassed the bike. Normally, you're yeah. going through first, second, third, fourth. Like you're going through every <laughs> gear. And the amount that 
I actually overcorrected by a lot. It felt like mad skills, you know the computer, you know the computer <laughs> yeah, game where yeah, you, where back you in the days, like, yeah. So that's what it, it felt like, and I couldn't believe it. And then I came in. I can't remember if it was you or Hill that I was talking yeah. to about it, or probably Paul. Yes, but it was just like wow, this thing can literally. You could almost be nose vertic- down like very low way. and then it corrects. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely because when you go into you know rev panic is yep. you're going only to the speed maximum speed of that of gear. The gear that you're in yeah and then because it's one gear and there's no the maximum speed is very very far so definitely like just a, a blip of gas or if you stay quite a bit on it it has a lot of correction yeah that's for sure i actually want to um when i get one i want to go into a foam pit and I want to actually kick myself and see how far <laughs> you can, how far you can yeah, actually, do it in the foampit. Yeah, do I don't want to test it in real life. <laughs> don't do it in dirt. But I think people would be shocked. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it defies physics in a sense of what we're all so used to, and it's something that I've, it's just not. A, it's not a selling point. No, of no, bike, but, but it's there's a all new these limit. little quirks that this bike mm-hmm. has that makes you, again, rethink the relationship between a gas and an electric motorcycle. And even for the whipping, you know, when you try to go to a face I of a jump. didn't whip. Oh, you didn't, <laughs> okay. For next time, yeah. <laughs> when you feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, I mean, it's easy to move the bike around because you don't have the inertia of the engine. Mm. So when you go for a whip, it's super easy to get it going and bring it back. And it's the same thing. You're doing it with less effort. And you know, for me, it's like, okay, when I go back to the gas bike, I'm like, Okay, you know, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, I think it's um, people really have to ride it, to yeah. try it, to really realize what it is. And uh, and that's, I think, the, the next step for us. You know, we, we offer the possibility to a limited, you know, amount of people to ride it. And in the future, you know, before the bike will come out, a lot more people will be able to ride it. And that's, I think, the important curve of it because when you get, you know, until you sit on it and you do laps, you you cannot realize what it is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the company really uh, understood that. That is something so new that people want to ride it first. Yeah. And I know, you know, I'm French. So I know the the French people are pretty old people, you know, yeah. in the in the way they look at things. It's not like US or Australia, and you know they they need to get that feel, that touch mm. before they get convinced. Mm-hmm. And it's natural. I mean, I'm the same way, you know. Until until I start spending time on it and then start Seeing writing is it, believing. exactly, yeah. you know. And that was, you know, I think we're gonna have to go through this phase, and that's normal. And the more people we get the bike, and Buddy's gonna try it, and that's the way it's gonna go because people who get convinced as they ride it. And that's natural, you know? I mean, I talk to a lot of friends who are on tracks and, and things like that, and they are like, come on, hurry up, you know, come up, we want to keep tracks open, and, you know, we need you know, mm. something like that. And that's something that is very interesting for for the evolution. Yeah, no, completely. Uh, another interesting little quirk on the motor side, um, I wasn't landing off jumps or singles or whatever with full acceleration and the bike has a very dead feeling if mm-hmm. you don't land it's on normal. the on the throttle which 
again, it makes sense because when you land a gas-powered bike, you have rotation. Mm -hmm. That is, even though you don't have throttle, there are still RPMs that are creating forward momentum. Um, So that was a really, uh, when I was um, trying to kind of gauge the jumps, I'm not the best jumper. Um, so that's kind of that's probably the thing I, I really need to work on it in general but um, that's the thing that was the hardest for me but it's the hardest thing for me at any new track um, but I went in and I was talking to Hill and Hill said man land with the thing on the gas because you've got no motor inertia to propel you forward uh, so you really to make those impacts not feel as harsh you need to actually be on the gas which um, is a natural normally feel but not most of people don't don't do it when you don't have the experience yeah yeah so there's that's another little thing um that is quite interesting and then while we're talking about the inertia when you so i rode a gas gas 450 mm-hmm. um after riding the varg and i've actually a gas gas 450 is the bike i've ridden the most over the past few months um and I've never really liked 450s. I've always, I really like 350s. Um, but it's actually the most I've ever enjoyed riding a 450. I had a, a good set of suspension in it. Um, I spent a bit of time getting the suspension good. And I really started to enjoy, and I've always struggled to really to lean turn. that thing in and, and trust it. Um, but I've I got a good feeling on, on the 450 and I was I was like, sweet, I'll, I'll be dialed in on, on the gas gas. That was the thing that made me know the suspension wasn't that good on yeah. the, the Vibe. That's what was let you try you yeah, know, whatever bike you wanted. I hate WP Air Forks stock <laughs> and they were better than this. And I was like, okay, so they're the best stock forks that you can get. They're probably the worst and they feel better than them. So we need to do something to that. Yeah. But to go back to back on the the Varg to then the gas gas to then the Varg, the inertia that you can feel on a 450 after back to back riding uh, a Varg is crazy. Yeah, I mean the first time I rode, I thought like that was doing the transition. I thought my rear brake was stuck. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm like I did one lap and I'm like, can you check it out? <laughs> on which bike? I was riding the Honda at the time. Yep, yeah. I was yep. riding the Honda and I, I, I went, you know, for the Vark for a while and then I was feeling all good and then I start, you know, I stop and say, Okay, you need to go back on the Honda, you know, to get the feel and everything. And I go for one lap. I th- I think I didn't finish a lap. I came back in and I'm like, something is wrong with my rear brake. <laughs> and I'm like no, everything is all right, <laughs> but it's just the feeling of the you know the that engine brake mm. was a little bit too much present, and you realize the engine brake is not only present under braking; it's only present under acceleration and mm-hmm. everywhere. It's like drag, mechanical yeah. drag. Yeah, it's all, everywhere, and that's only when I I, I did this, the back and forth that I realized it also the same way. That's crazy that you can be, you would have spent thousands of hours on a motorcycle. No, never, never realized it. You know, like I rode the bike, I mean, the the gas bike, never even thought about it because, I mean, the bike fell, you know, natural and everything. That's just how it is. Exactly. That's how it is. And today we are bringing something that is different, new, and you're like, oh, okay. I I didn't even know. I just, you know, realized it. And that's something that's, it's a new like I said, new world, new things. Um, the four-stroke were a big revolution already in our industry yeah. uh, compared to two-strokes. And uh, now we are bringing electric 
which is another revolution in, into the sport. And I know there's a two stroke lover, two two smokers, and mm -hmm. I still love two smokers. You know, I rode it like uh, three or four, uh, three four months ago. I rode on the two on the Honda for uh, two stroke, mm -hmm. and I love it. You know, it's old memories who come back, and I, and I like it. Yeah. And on the same time, I can switch to a four stroke or electric, and it's different feelings, uh, but I can go as fast or faster. Yeah. So uh, the other, oh, so the inertia in the turns as well, there's a feeling of when you're, let's say you're going through a left-hand turn, you're going, you're leaning the bike over to go left. And then as soon as you hit the throttle, there's a feeling of Stand upwards. Up. Yeah. So, and that was something that I, I, like I said, the last few months working on riding a 450, I was just like no blipping the throttle. Like there's no, because mm -hmm. you can't do it. It ruins the turn for you as Completely. soon as you give it any kind of blip. There's so much forward mode. It's like up and out is the, the feeling yeah. that, that you get as the soon as you stands, blip yeah. the throttle. So it's, I've been super conscious. It's actually because of Casey Stoner. He's the, he's the one that we've been riding together and he's like just smooth one arc of every turn one curve of your throttle and he's like obsessive about it and it's for such good reason because you just get this up and out feeling every time you touch the throttle especially on a 450 um and with the varg you don't have up and out you've kind of got back and down it's yeah, like the, if the, you go the, too the, hard yeah so there's a there's a really big change um through cornering there and i think that that means that you can hold lines a lot easier um and then it also means you kind of just don't even have to be in lines as much as a 450 the, you can kind of just ride yeah. it wherever in a the, sense. the problem with the advantage and the problem of the clutch is when you grab a clutch in the middle of the turn you basically you stop your momentum and you just deliver the power in in one go okay so yeah. it makes you do some some you know when you see the rut somebody sometimes when you come them. in you have that yeah. that wobbly you know like yeah. the first one and it goes up and then the second one and that's where the the stock is a little bit different because when you come in <clears throat> you just you know the power is just right there and it forces you to roll on actually mm -hmm. and get that you know a little bit on the on the throttle and you just like basically just go gradually yeah and then the bike hooks up and then you just get the traction and you roll out and some friends who are not you know racers not full-time racers are just you know having fun they say now i can do round turns mm -hmm. before i always used to go in stop and go yeah and then now you know that i rode the vog i do round turns and i keep my momentum in, into the turns and it's like a lot of people when you start riding and they say oh you don't use the clutch you know let it go and then just grab that that throttle to get you going through the corners and that's what they teach you at the beginning, but it's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, because when you get in the not, heat of the moment, exactly. You're and not, I mean, when you go fast, you come a little bit hot, you know, you kind of slam into it. And the question is not how beautiful it was, but how fast you was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and this is like naturally when you come in, you can come in as hard as you want. You can get stuck, you know, you can block the back end or do whatever. But as soon as you get on the throw, it's a smooth delivery will get you out and you don't have to fight for it. And that's like, you have to be ready because if you go wide open, the power will be there. Yeah. But it's, it's naturally one go. It's not like, okay, I back off and you never want to back off from the throw, you know. Most likely it's like, if you're like me, it's like, if I'm, I'm going, I want to, I want to keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have to shut down and, and get back to it. So it pushes you to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to go through that turn and I'm going to be ready for it and I'm going to do it right. And if you just, your position is good, 
is just like butter it just goes smooth yeah so the other thing while well, you mentioned the clutch i the experience of riding without a clutch it actually kind of made me ride a lot better one of the things that whenever i look at my technique on the bike i'm a little bit too upright and my head's a little bit too far back and now i know why because i've got a clutch (laughs) because it's a safety feature the clutch is a safety yeah it's a it's a crutch that you lean (laughs) it's not a clutch it's a crutch and so that's another reason why i want to just because completely get rid of the the clutch off my it's handlebars not there, so you don't have the option <laughs> yes but on my 350 like i want to get rid of the yeah, clutch on my 350 a, you're gonna get an hybrid bike now yeah yeah because <laughs> it it made my technique so much better like on the footage that that we got on the day i was um, and i remember hitting my chin part on my helmet on the bar pad right. all day because that's how hard right. i was trying to get over the front of the bike because forward, yeah. i wanted to be full throttle but I didn't have a clutch as soon as so obviously when I'm riding at home as soon as my front comes up I'm just on the clutch and so that I'm never getting in the right body position and when you I noticed when I got in the right body position my head was really far over the front and I was full throttle then I was like oh I'm going fast I'm actually going fast now because I was doing the right yeah. the right but that's thing. that's where the grippy seat is important also you know we put mm. a grippy seat on the bike because I mean you know you need to have something with sticks to to get you in the right position and when you stay in the right position it's so much easier to do it and when you have the right position you go way faster and you take way less risks yeah and that's something that is super important and for me it was like acceleration was a big point but braking is also the big point because you know when you come to a section where there's bumps i mean when you know that a 450 start to go right left you better hold on <laughs> and, and stay you know like be strong for it uh with the varg is the same as a two-stroke you know if the bike goes sideways once you stay you just blip on the gas or you just wait and the bike will come back straight to you mm. so we have that kind of two-stroke feel about it also so it's like you know you gotta have the speed from the acceleration but you got you need to be also good on the braking side of things yeah that's for sure so yeah that, that was just definitely a, a big uh difference and again that's i think something you can only notice when you go from gas to electric mm-hmm. and now I, I think that i'll be taking that back to my gas powered bikes until i get a, a bike uh, <laughs> of my own but yeah i mean there, there's just some some really crazy subtle differences that again it's like i mean you didn't experience it until you went and rode um the the electric bike i think um the the braking performance was was good um it was a little it probably took me three laps to stop reaching for the foot brake i i was still braking yeah but that's natural i mean you grew up with that you Mm. know that's not your brain is connected with your foot so that's that's why it's i mean even me sometimes i still reach sometimes i'm like oh you know maybe i shift out of the corner but i'm like yeah 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 i I feel like i'm doing a movement but there's nothing there (laughs) and i'm like oh okay yeah it's okay <laughs> i just get to to it you know it's just like it's it's just some like you know a ghost who yeah. showed up <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's a good way to describe like a ghost in the machine yeah, yeah that's for sure um so yeah there was yeah there was just some really cool differences uh on that front and then again 
power wise was a big question but um we rode the 60 horsepower version yes you did mm-hmm. how much faster is the 80 horsepower version is it it's uh, it's a I mean, more to the, handle yeah the 60 it's fucking fast like honestly yeah. it's very hard to, but if you compare a 60 horsepower is basically a, a factory yeah. a factory uh no i think it's 51 horsepower the factory uh, race bikes okay. 250 250 250 is around 61 to 62 okay so no 51 to 52 yeah that's where they are about powers and the the 60 horsepower is basically the stock 450 450 today's yeah imagine a a real race 450 is is a lot of power to handle and that's the experience we want to give to people it is a what would you choose to ride? Would you choose to ride the 80 or would you, do you dial that back a bit? Because from riding the 60, I mean, the, the, I think the it depends on the, yeah, 60s. Uh, for me, I'm, I, I'm like you. I like a lot the 350s, mm. you know, because it's, oh, uh, good to know. yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I, 450s are awesome, but uh, today they are a lot of power to handle also. Mm. And on the two fifty, on the three fifty, I feel like you get the best world of of both. I know at some point when Antonio Caoli was racing with it and winning championship, it was a, a very highlight uh, highlighted bike, and a lot of people start riding it, and they kind of faded away. But for me, as as a rider, I still feel like it's a, it's a good medium power, and it's enough power, and I like also the lightness of it that yep. you get into it. So it's like, it's it's you can go as fast. I mean, there's no question that with the 350 or 250, you can look at or today the lap times yes. into the, the MXGP. Uh, some tracks, you got, you know, 250 guys who are running faster than the 450s. So the power is really how you deliver and how you, you make it to the ground, but how you handle the bike also. Mm-hmm. So that's at the end of the day, do I want the, the full horsepower? In some occasion, yes, I want to. I want the, I want to have the option to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, will I use it every day? Probably not, because sometimes it's too much. You know, you get to a, a track which is a little bit slippery, a little bit hard pack. I would kind of like to decrease a little bit of power to get that traction and, and go fast. And when I get more tackiness, definitely I want more horsepower to be able to do it. And now, basically, you can do it. You can have the option of doing it. And that's something that people don't you know they are like okay i'm in that groove and i stay in that groove no Mm. now it's open in front of you and you can choose and that's i think a big plus by choosing yeah so okay that's good to know then because i definitely don't know that i would have been rushing to ride an 80 horsepower varg on on the day that we rode i'm sure it's like you know some people want to try it because you know i want to try the 80 80 horsepower but it's it's normal you know it's it's a guy thing i I think at the end of the day i'm sorry there's a lot of girls racing and they are very good at it too but it's like you know a testosterone kind of thing yeah 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 100 percent um all right what else have i got to i guess we've probably covered the motor is there anything else you think is worth talking about on the motor front I mean, like motor, no, motor side, you, you got, yeah, you got everything. After is the chassis side. I mean, definitely. Uh, the little, little tricks, you know, that uh, the, the boys worked on it, you know, they, they basically look at the bike as uh, they wanted to implement new things into the bike. This is definitely worth talking about. Yeah, it's like, you know, they didn't want to take, you know, okay, that's what is done today and we stick with it and try to make it, you know, the way it is. No, the guys, a very idea behind it is like, okay, that's what we got. You know, let's try to find things that we can do better, yeah. you know, and things that have been in place for many years 
that we don't even think about changing that is easy and and better for the customer and that's what you know that's what the food pakes came that way that's what the chain adjuster came that way the and linkage and the swing arm and the linkage a little bit higher for uh, for ground clearance so there's e- li- even down to um the the way that the boys have designed the the swing arm and the linkage when you tighten the swing arm bolts mm-hmm. you actually don't have any torsional flex or compression on the the swing arm yep. itself so i mean there's these crazy little details that have gone into the manufacturing of this bike and the engineering of this bike that that are, are really unique and there, there's nothing I think that's probably one of the cooler things about the Varg is that there's nothing really that's on there that is just been accepted as this is the way that it is. Everything has been kind of taken through with a, a fine tooth comb. Really, the only thing on the Varg that is normal would be the levers, the mm-hmm. suspension, the braking components, and the handlebars. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, breaking one to Brembo, which is you know one of the best one you have. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things who are you know the standard in into the the world of motocross, and you know the hydraulic and and stuff like that. You know, for the brake and and it's I think it's the best thing. Um, I'm sure in the future, you know, Varg Stark future will push for evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they are not done yet. You know, they want to do more things. Um, so that's little details that. I think we think it's granted today and it's like, oh, that's the way it is and that's it. Yeah. But I think there's still room for new new things yeah. to come in and and basically push the development of, of our sport. I mean, KTM was one of the, the pioneers about electric start on the bike. And now you have everybody who has an electric start. At the beginning, they were like, oh, they are crazy. But no, they were very smart about it and that's a, a good way for them that they basically took care of the you know stalling the bike and not be able to start it again mm. at the beginning of the 450s and you know that's the way stocks want to be you know stocks want to be uh, proactive in all they do about the bikes it's not nothing is granted you know nothing is okay that's the way it is no we probably can do better we need to do better and that's the philosophy behind it and that's that's what impressed me because they look at every part and say, how can we do it better? Yeah. And there's more things coming that is not today on the plate that will surprise people and make a big difference at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. And I mean, it's we, we've got a, for people that are listening to this now, um, it'll be released on June 10, which is the embargo date. And hopefully our video will be done by then. But um, it's one of the kind of points that I make is that people don't really want to buy an electric dirt bike they want to buy the best dirt bike Mm -hmm. and so for stark future to succeed as a company they just need to make the best dirt bike no one cares about the electric thing humans we should care yeah no for sure we should (laughs) we should worry about sustainability well you you can care about the the fact that you can buy a red bike or white bike or gray bike (laughs) yeah 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 and but people just want to buy the best thing Mm -hmm. and i think that that's the probably the coolest thing for me about this company is that it's it's a two-faced company 
there's the one side of of the the face is about sustainability and it really does you know, yeah. anton really is committed to that and he's and pushing in every angle you know for that for sure and i mean to, to the plastics that are being used to the you know the, everything uh, there's a lot that goes into it on that side unfortunately people just don't give a fuck about that yeah <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm telling you every day yeah. <laughs> we are you know i'm i'm there uh, and we are always having that you know conversation yeah. you know okay we want to do this we want to use that yeah but yeah, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. it eco-friendly <laughs> is yeah. it sustainable you know it's like always every day Anton is right there and says no no we cannot do that this way because find another solution and that doesn't make every day easy I mean that's for I sure bet. because you know there's a lot of things that we are granted and, and it's like okay you know go no 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 <laughs> you don't get away that easy <laughs> yeah. but so but then I think what's so cool is that the company then has the other face to it which is okay we know that this just isn't a we're not going to be able to sell people on sustainability people aren't just going to go no. yep i'm going to throw my gas powered bikes away the only way that happens is it's if better. it's better exactly and so i mean it must be such a cool position for you to be in as a as a test rider and as a developer to just that's the that's the uh the core principle as well as just this has to be the best bike because it's the only way the company succeeds. And I'm really excited about it because, you know, they, they wanted to go into racing also. And, you know, we are working mm. with Federation to make it possible. I mean, I know some Federation already opened the change the rules. Um, Australia is one was one of the first one actually changed the rule like already three years ago, even before people knew we were on the map. So they were very proactive on that side. Uh, but the French Federation changed. A lot of Federation are very excited about the possibilities to, to have that and be proactive for it. So it's it's very good on, on, on one direction. And making things you know better for the sport is very important for all of us. That's for sure. Yeah, and I, I just think it's... Uh I think that it's the kind of perfect storm um, because at some point the sustainability thing I think more so than the sustainability it's just the noise man like the it's track a no, we, noise pollution there for yeah. sure it's a pollution today. It, I guess it's a pollution yeah I mean mm. and then that I guess that plays right into sustainability because how do we keep these tracks open and how do we like 90% of the tracks in Belgium have closed the track that we did the test at ironically was closed closed because of noise Mm. one of our local tracks an hour away from our house has just been closed due to noise so I mean it's almost like this you know the sound of silence is like in the past yeah I um, I used to ride you know uh, area where open land you know yep. by the beach here yep. not far from barcelona uh, to get some sand riding and uh, the i mean a lot of guys you know from enduro will ride there motocross guys uh, it was not open to to the public it was just open land but you know as soon as they get you know four three bikes out there cops will come right away and after covid it was impossible mm. you know one lap Two minutes later, the cops were here, they find you, and then you're like, okay, you have to go, pay the fine, and just go. And, you know, the other day, I'm like, let's try it. You know, I was with the boys, it was raining, and I'm like, we gotta try it. You know, let's take the chance. And I rode all day, nobody came. Some people who were walking by said, oh, what is this? There's no noise and everything. And they were like, they stayed, talked with us for 10 minutes. And they were just all, all happy. I was like, oh, okay, have a good day. And then they left. We walk out of there, no fine, all good. And I'm like, completely legal, that's for sure. <laughs> but 
and at the end of the day, it gives us the possibilities to do things like that. Mm. And and the same thing when today, you know, if you go on the trail, you pass people who are walking because you don't have that noise. They don't look at you as a bandit anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they are like, okay, your friend, oh, what is this? You know, we didn't hear you coming and everything. And and if you respect, uh, if you respect them, they're like, okay, yeah, no problem. Have a good day. And that's a, that's a good thing, you know. Riding off road around Barcelona is completely illegal, but everybody does it, and it's kind of allowed. It's mm. not permitted, but it's allowed, and um, this make it really really easy now. You know, when you go in the hills, uh, they see us, they don't complain, uh, they are more interested about it, mm. and we are not seen as gangsters anymore, or trying to you know bend the law anymore. It's like we are part of it, even if we are not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the kind of exciting things. Um, we, we've got a track that's by our house. It's like incredible sand track. Mm-hmm. It's so like bottomless sand. The place gets so rough and it's so gnarly, but we you can't ride there. There's a farmer that owns some land that backs onto it and it's like, I think it's state land, but then his property backs onto it and he just hates bikes. Comes out with a shotgun. It's one of those. Kind of, yeah, one of those. <laughs> That's <deals>. rough one. <laughs> but it's like we can go there now. Yeah, we can take they the, won't even know you're they there. They will not know that that you're no. there. And then, like Hill said when he first did the podcast, it's one of the reasons why he loves riding the electric bikes. Is he's a free rider. He wants to go and find these big jumps. He wants to ride in skate parks. He wants to take bikes to a different place. And he said, man, now people are just interested. We, they used to, we used to be public enemy number one, but now it's, there's a curiosity factor and people want to stand and watch because there's, the sound is just so gnarly to people. I'm for sure when reason. the racing will be there, you would hear. Definitely as a rider, you know, you don't hear always the crowd. And now you'll be able to hear big mm. time the crowd and you can, you know, kind of have the support and everything. And it's, I'm sure it will be an adaptation, you know, because there's some core people who, who love the noise and understand it's it's super you know it's what the sport mm. uh, was about and i think there will be a new new gen- generation with new things coming in and a new development of the sport and that's that's something that the future is about you know i mean you see formula one formula e you know everything is Moto moving e on model e and next year as i heard is a new brand coming into model e so it's it, you can see that's evolution yeah. in the sport and there's more people getting into it and normally basically if you look at the i mean uh, automotive sports they are 10 years ahead of us yes. of motocross and then after you have motor gp where they are five years ahead of motocross and now you know it's motocross but by this basically we are catching up you mm-hmm. know we are putting ourselves in in the league of moto gp as far as technology goes and and we're catching you know and that's i think i don't like to be the the you know on the back of things and be the yeah. last one to have the new evolution on on automotive sports we need to be at the same level no i agree the the sound thing as well there's there's something worth mentioning and i've asked a few people that have rode the bike I was like, did you think you had a flat tire when you first went out onto the onto <laughs> That's the something bike? New, yeah, for sure. Yeah, did you think the same thing? The first time you you, th- you if you don't think you have a flat tire, it's not normal because you're not used to that noise. But you guys should say that at the briefing. Yeah, when you talk to people, don't worry, you won't get a flat tire. <laughs> but it's for sure because since you don't have the engine noise. 
And, and it's crazy how you much can hear the torsion of the tire. Yeah. And, and that's something that we're not used to it. And not at all. You know, you know, you can have as much, you know, pressure you want, you will still hear it, but you can feel the tire benting and you yeah. can feel the, you know, the carcass of the tire moving around. Yeah. And it's like a little details that you don't, you don't know at the beginning. And it's definitely, I'm sure, yeah, it was a surprise for you, but we cannot, you know, give you everything right away. You have to discover that yeah, you want to. Yeah, yeah I, I remember I, I literally rode straight out onto the track and then I was like, I've got a fucking flat tire. And in my head, I'm like, I just saw him do the pressures. And so I, I kept riding because I, I, I kind of clicked straight away. Yeah. It, I must just be able to hear it. But the the detail it's funny how tied together your senses are yeah you can so once you've got too much noise you can't feel a certain thing and then i i guess vibration probably plays uh, quite a big part into it and that's something we haven't spoke about at all zero vibration no it doesn't vibrate at all so you have no explosion so no no and i think that the again it's like your senses get tied together in a, in a better way you can feel things more because the well i guess you've got let's say for the tire you've got this tire wall you can literally feel the roll of the tire and wall you, you hear can it. hear the the roll of the tire yeah. but so then it's like that's happening on a gas powered bike but but, you never but, know. but then there's this big thing of vibration it's almost like interference noise in the signal mm-hmm. so there's a signal that's coming from your tire but then it stops yeah. with the vibration so there's all these things that you can start to notice and and feel mm-hmm. and i mean it makes me respect a really good test rider because really good test riders can probably feel, feel that some of it, yes. through the vibration and and as uh, even though there is noise but that was a crazy experience it's, it's the same thing with the you know a rock hitting the plastics mm. you hear it it's like bang, bang. and yeah. normally you're like oh no <laughs> i yeah. mean like normally you've been mean, shot yeah exactly that's <laughs> like oh what happened there or the you know even when you sit you can hear sometimes the the plastic crack yeah that's something you will never hear on the gas bike because it's covered it's drowned out yeah it's like you don't hear it and this you know these details is something that you're gonna you know on the on the french youtube you know when the 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 varg they launched the video i'm doing the intro the voiceover for the Mm. french side and uh, there's you know we 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 talked about it a, a long time and it's like you know the thing was the world of silence Mm -hmm. and i'm like well in french it's hard to translate and i'm like you know you can at the end of the day is like basically you can feel what nature is about you can feel your tire you can feel how you place yourself in it and before you you never feel it because the noise was drawn yeah and now you're like open your sense to something that you didn't know yeah you know and that's that's pretty amazing that's that's like you get closer to nature without even knowing about it yeah and there's again there's just so many things that are there that you never realize were there and so the traction side of things is a i think i had a much better connection with traction because i could hear as it was about to break traction so you can actually stay you just Just use the the throttle and just stay right on the edge of that traction and when i did the podcast with casey stoner he was saying basically his whole life was spent trying to be 
on the edge of grip and slip, he called it. And he said that he was basically this little human gyro that was trying to keep the bike exactly there and using weight because he wanted the throttle wide open. But then it would either slip or grip. So then he's moving himself around to try and get Mm -hmm. that traction. And you can feel that happen on the Varg. But you've also got the auditory input of the there's a there's a sound that the it makes as it's kind of hooking up and not breaking you feel the traction also for uh, acceleration you Mm. know when you feel like you're getting the wheel spin you can just back it off a little bit and then you get the bike going faster which normally you don't you know normally when you're like on the gas you just stay on the gas yeah but now you can hear the tires just spinning so you back it off a little bit to get the traction and then you go back at it it it's definitely details that are new yeah. and new information and we're going to have to basically build into it I mean, I'm sure racers will build very fast because that's their you know job and they adapt to things and then get it through it you know same as the four stroke they, they got you know at the beginning it didn't take long to get you know fast guys riding it and getting great mm. results with it and this is another thing happening where you're going to be able to feel more stuff and the people who are super technical will be even getting yep. more feedback than yep. what they have today on on the other bike or the people who are aggressive will get a different feedback that they they, they didn't have existed for them before yeah so uh the i guess the it doesn't just extend to the the rear wheel there was also the front i could really feel and pay a lot more attention to because you could again hear the, the front tire um, mm-hmm. and I got one of the photos that I got um, from the boys you can see Roos coming off the front tire through you start leaning into it <laughs> yeah because you could well you know exactly where you're at I think that um, you guys have just done a really good job in terms of the front end with the flex and I didn't one time have the, the front knife on me um, I ride the front uh, quite heavy. like that's what I want on a bike mm-hmm. is I want to feel really confident on the front um, and then, yeah, so I didn't have any issues with that, but I could hear when the front was oh, breaking driving. loose. Um, no, no, we went through quite a bit some testing on that side. We went to softer, harder, and to find the IP medium where the bike is balanced to the proper way. I mean, for me, one of the main goal was to have a bike very balanced. Yeah. And that was very important because, I mean, I know in the US, they like a little bit the back end, a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. In Europe, the back end is a little bit higher. So we have to find a balance in between. And the chassis is important because the chassis is what gives you the traction. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you can play with the sag for the height. But for me, it was important that both front and rear were balanced. And that's something that, you know, I mean, you got to sit in the bike and feel comfortable. You don't, you don't need to fit like you sit and you're kind of up above it. You need to be sitting into it. Mm-hmm. And that's also come from the chassis point of view. Because, you know, when you get a little bit stiffer, you start skidding. Uh, I mean, when you come in or come out. And when it's too soft, I mean, you can't, you start having too much flex and the bike start dancing right, left. Yeah. So we had to, you know, manage that. And we went through different chassis design and different, you know, different way of things were doing, uh, you know, made to make it to that point where we got a good front end traction and a good rear end traction too. So how, I guess, what's the main things? Well, the, a lot of stuff that's in a normal bike isn't in this. So the, the motor is integrated into mm-hmm. the chassis itself. And how how easy was it to move around flex? 
Flex is about design. I mean, we we got the V power. You know, the 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 battery is a V shape. Yeah. So that gives us a little bit more. You know, the weight basically is like you got fifty five percent of the weight on the back and forty five percent on the front. Uh, that's appro- approximately average for a thermic bike. So we wanted to keep the same feel. So that's why we went that way, and that's why uh, Anton designed because he's the one who got designed on the on the battery and the V shape was his idea to be able to to get the proper cooling but also the proper balance. Mm-hmm. So that was important for that. Then after when you go to different frame design, you know we have engineer who are everything is on three D, and then it'll go you know you go into it and says okay you know we need to walk you know that's the feeling that i had today you know i was missing this uh, you know the front end wash is a little bit too much you know the the back end come around so we we start with a base which is basically suspension wise we know what it is and then after we start moving around the chassis and we don't change the suspension so like this will really feel a difference and then the guys were able also to put quite a bit some sensors on the on the chassis mm. to know how much g's and how much force we are using so we compile all this information and then we put it into the computer and the designer basically checked everything it says okay you know we sit down and say here that's what happened you know what you think you know we got this feedback and then it says let's try this let's try that and then that's where we got different design early on the on the chassis because it was important to go through the chassis first uh, because it's a big piece to uh, manufacture mm. and you can we cannot have the delay to be able to come out in production so we really focus on the first part was all design of the chassis the balance all these pieces who takes time to build. Mm. And so today we were finished with that so we could you know, get the parts built and in time for production. Yeah, okay. Is, is it the most you've ever been involved in the design of a motorcycle? Because I would say on the design, yes. Yeah. On the evolution, no. Uh, I was the first, basically, first rider to ride on the CRF. Yeah. Uh, I raced in, uh, in Japan. Yeah. yeah. So I won, uh, I won the first race with it in Japan. But before that, we had like a, a month of evolution on the bike to try to develop it. But it was to already a certain stage. So I could change only little, little things mm. at the time. Then after I got involved into uh, the RMZ development, uh, which was the first uh, 454 stroke they, they made. And the same thing, uh, uh, basically my, my contract at the time was pretty clear with uh, the coster. I was supposed to basically develop the bike, get it to the race level needed and give it to RC for nationals. And that was fine with me, even if I was competing with it, mm. but that was uh, my contract. So I, I worked quite a bit and this was a little bit better of evolution because Roger had more free hands. Mm. And so we could change a lot of more things on the bike and to get it. And it was considered uh, like a prototype. So AMA allowed you to have one prototype. So uh, per generation of bikes. So basically the 450 was the prototype that they developed and we got to change, you know, chassis, carburetors. At the time we were carburetors and engine and modify everything to make it, you know, race. And that was, I think, one of the best 450 that I had who could turn super nice. Yeah, and, and that was widely, I guess, acclaimed for how well it turned. Yeah, that's true. But we did a lot of development on the chassis to make it able to do that and handle things that way. So, you know, yes, I was involved quite a bit on that also. But with Stark Future, I got really involved from the beginning of it. And really what we did is, I mean, I got to go through different shape, different chassis, different 
angle, different tubes, different, I mean, it's behind it, there's quite a bit some work, different material, we've got different thickness, different flex. I mean, it's just a bunch of stuff that we go through that people will never know and mm. never try. But that's the way for, you know, that's the way a real development is done. And normally this development is done, you know, uh, in Japan for Japanese and Austria uh, for uh, KTM. And that's what I did this one from the scratch. So for me, it was really super interested because I got to see what was good, what was wrong. We selected the materials in its shape and try. And basically it's the hours you spend trying that you discover. And I was lucky that I have enough experience in that domain, you know, with racing and trying race bikes and getting the new prototypes online. What what makes a good test rider? Like, how do you develop to be a good test rider? I think what, it's time. Yeah, time is the I think the key part uh, because when you're younger side, I mean, what you want is go fast and race. Yeah. When you get older, basically you are over, <laughs> yeah. not over the racing. You want to be safe. You, you know, yeah. it's like your focus change a little bit. Yeah. You know, you know that when you're younger, it's the eager of winning and trying to find a solution to win and be the best at it, which is normal. But when you get older, you get a little bit wiser and you know that you have to take the time and what you're doing is not for you, but for a lot of more people who will have the experience and mm. you have to be in mind that, okay, maybe this could work for a racer, but it's not appropriate for a customer that is having fun on the weekend. So you have to be able to balance this out and, and basically it's the hours that you spent on the bike or all your basically experience that you had in different brands to be able to bring a product together at the end of the day and make the decision because the decision you make is at the end of the day is a big decision because if you go in the wrong direction mm. then you, you lost a lot of time for the company which is not what you want and so when you're riding a bike in a testing phase what are you thinking about or how are you trying to pay attention to specific things do you have a mental process to let's say with tires like how do you block out everything else and just focus on the tires like do you, is there a mental process that you go through to, to i think that you know for me the the best way to do it is definitely i don't want to know Mm. I don't want to, you know, the guy say, okay, we change this, we change that. I say, no, I don't want to know. Mm. You know, I know we're going to test today. You know, I know what we're going to test, but I don't want to know what you put it on. I just want to be able to have a free mind. And if I feel it, great. If it's not, mm. then it's not. And you know the difference if it's working or not working. And then at some point, if you had a doubt, it's always good to have like a, um, basically a baseline that you come back to. You know, and most of the time, every day, I come back to the baseline because that's your baseline. You know that this works, this is good. Did I improve that? Maybe through the day I felt like I improved and I go back to the baseline and I'm like, oh, no, mm. no that was not, you know, the right direction. Then we go back at it again. But for me, it's important, like, when, when we try parts, I mean, obviously, if it's obvious parts, like, you know, suspension or, or tires or things yeah, like that. Yeah, you're going to know, know that you've got a different You know set. what you know. Yeah. But... But that, I don't want to know what they change in it or what is the modification. I want to be able to feel it. And that's what gives me the, the possibility to know if it's better or if I don't feel it or if I do feel it. Mm. And that's, you know, then I can know if it's appropriate for what we are looking for or if it's not appropriate. And that's because if you tell somebody, oh, yeah, we changed this, obviously his focus will be on it. And it's not 100% natural. But if you don't know about it, it's like, 
did you feel it mm. or not and that's you know that's for me it's more important to develop that way because you really you know what the computer says is not always what the writer feels and there's a gap in between that and sometimes it's you know sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not so the, I think the writer experience is important also I think from the computer side you can get a baseline to know the direction you're going but you have to write it and really test it to know if it's the right way what was the hardest thing to develop with the Vogue? Actually, the there was nothing really hard the to throttle develop. Maybe, no, no, we went through different algorithm and and stuff. It, it's what surprised me that is from the gate go the bike was uh, the Vogue was already uh, to a really good level, you know, and that was a big surprise for me. I mean, I was when you know I started the project. I know the guys were not from you know like uh, basically coming from a factory team yeah, or factory, yeah. you know, which is probably and I'm like, okay, you know, it's a new project. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have to spend some laps. And I mean, uh, you know, things need to be working out and, and we're going to probably change a lot of things. And nope, actually, you know, a lot of things were really good from the get-go. I mean, we try, you know, you know, from triple clamps to swing arms to a chassis. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, the changes were not huge changes. Because really from the first bike you saw on the video uh, back in December and the bike we have today, we have a big evolution, mm. but it's not like a 100% change of the bike. And I was more expecting somewhere that in the big picture we'll have a big change. And basically, no, we had adjustments mm. to make things better. And I was very impressed. I mean, I was very impressed by the technician of uh, Stock Future because they really... There are people who, who came from different world, you know, from the bicycle uh, companies, from automotive companies, uh, from the bike, you know, motorcycle uh, companies also. And basically, they all got together. They all start riding uh, motocross uh, on the weekend. And uh, that's something that I really, some, somewhere I felt like, okay, you know, these guys are getting really involved in it mm. because they want to discover what it is, get their feeling, and then after you can translate also into the development of the bike. And that's something as a, as a company that Stark was able to, to do uh, really good that even people who never rode before mm. start riding and kind of get the knowledge of what the sport is about. And that was something that is really nice to see. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of, of the, the company. Um, I think that this launch has been a pretty solid... Uh, statement i guess you'd say of how serious that they're taking um the bike i mean people are gonna see obviously there'll be videos out when when this is out um but i mean there's 50 media that are riding the bike over two weeks every we had our own i had an engineer and a mechanic um originally the the guys had the foot brake on even though i'd asked for the handbrake and then they'd come up and they're like oh we we didn't know like do you want us to check it on i was like yeah 100 percent i'm doing it with that and then bang the boys did it sag changes suspension changes i mean everyone was like so committed and the team and it was i was one of five guys that was there on the day so yeah i mean there's a 
that's the way the company is. You yeah. know, the goal is to be very prime, you know, like high level. And that's the way, you know, we don't want 50% to come in because when you have 50% coming in, you cannot take care of, of the mm. proper job. You know, you cannot do, basically want to give a really good experience. And we want you to discover the bike because we are aware it's a different world to start. And you don't have the knowledge of uh, riding the bike, and we need to be able to mm. give you the knowledge that you need to be able to to have fun and basically enjoy Get it. Get the most out of it. And exactly, and that's the way the company has been since the beginning. You know, it's like, like I told you, little things that they want to improve will make a big difference at the end of the day. And I think the video was a big statement, mm. and we want the, this global launch to be also a big statement because that's the image of the company that we have and we want to keep and we want to keep building on that direction it's it's a really fine product and I think people will discover it and we realize that these people are serious I know the at the beginning the people look at the bikes and like oh yeah that's a 3d uh, you know design and everything but actually no mm. it was the real bike mm. yeah yeah no it's uh yeah, I don't know whether I come across as like a company shill right now, like I'm getting paid under the table to like say. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to Figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I nope. <laughs> say everything, uh, but I mean, it just, it excites me, man. I love motocross. I love our sport. I love our industry. I love being able to ride. I love bringing new people into it. And I think that we've got a bike here that um, it's, to me, it's the first new thing since a gas powered bike i mean you've got in my mind you've got we went from water cooled to air uh, air cooled to water cooled we went mm -hmm. from drum to disc we went from two stroke to four stroke but it's all the same thing still it's still a bike it's just this incremental progression Evolution. of the same product but now this is a new product this is a completely new bike and for me to live in a time where we've got a new thing now it, it's quite exciting so i mean for that's I why guess, you needed a new company to do it yeah yeah <laughs> exactly because much, a huh? new company it's you know don't take anything for granted you know they have to win we are in the world that new company can create mm. new stuff and the same thing you know before the battery was not to the level of doing things tesla is the one who changed basically the way electric is today and the hybrid or the full-on electric batteries and that's that's why you know a new company is the one who can bring that new blood 
to move everybody around mm. and i think that's definitely was a shocker you know it was a big boom when they came in and people kind of got awake yeah, yeah it's like oh okay these guys are, are there and they are really pushing it and, and making it happen so it was i think the good wake-up call that we needed to make our, fo- our sport make a big step forward and electronics is what make the things go forward i mean we saw the bike going from you know also carburetors to uh, EFI, mm. you know, it's all electronics. Now, if you look at a 450, uh, I mean, some of them you can also already be on your uh, on your app and do some changes on your power curve and stuff like that. That's kind of a little steps. We did do just a big step mm. that was needed to push everybody in the same direction. And I'm, I'm sure they will catch up and I will, they will come up. Uh, but it will take them time. Like, <laughs> we'll say... My guess would be four to five years, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of another thing too that, I mean, me and my brother, he's pretty deep in the industry with KTM and um, with the riders that he manages and Ducati. And so we know a fair bit of what's going I'm on. I'm sure. And, uh, and even both of us were just like, fuck, they're always, man. <laughs> like they're, and everyone is really, really far behind the eight ball. And, and the thing is, we are basically a high technology also company. Mm-hmm. So this is just the start of it and our evolution will be also in four, four or five years from now mm. we'll have a big step forward for sure and it's it's normal but you know i think after it will be the play of catch up yeah no i completely agree so so yeah i guess that's uh that's my thoughts on the on the vibe is there anything you wanted to ask extra about the bike or no just like- uh just uh, my thing is I think you you got to try it, yeah. You know, and and people get you know every people you know who tried it. Uh, some people had to convince well, a good friend of mine to to try it, and they begin to say no 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 I live for the noise and and that's what it is. But when they jumped on it, they were like hooked. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing. You know, don't get you know an idea of what it is, but just give a chance and try it. Yeah. And you will see what it is. Yeah. Sweet. Well, maybe we'll we'll move on from the from the vag because. Uh, you have had a crazy career as a professional <laughs> on that uh, side, yep. motocross and supercross racer. I, like I said at the start, I mean, I've been a, a fan, but not until I went back and really looked at year by year the career. Dude, <laughs> that's, a, that's a wild ride, man. You were the, you're the French Jet Lawrence, like pro at 16, winning championships in your second year then up to the 450s and then to go to America and like it's been a it's been a ride so I'd love to dive into it a little bit no no I mean what I say you know like I told you in the beginning is it's I think you know things have a way to fall in place Mm. and you just need to be the the one to to see it and make it happen you know like I, I was not you know like specially guided into that direction of being a professional motocross racer at the time and that just fall into my lap and i loved it and i enjoyed it a lot and that's what created the passion you know at the beginning i just rode the bike because i just had the opportunity to it and i just fell in love with it and that was something that guided me through all my racing career and you know i think the the u.s part 
of my racing career is because uh, racer did it before. You know, you had Jim B, Jean-Michel mm -hmm. Bell, who was a French French guy who rode basically in the U.S. and opened the doors of uh, all the French guys that you have today, and not probably only the French guys, but all other uh, countries to go to the U.S. So there's different. I think different stage into a racing career, especially when you're not, you know, I mean, as a new European, I didn't stay in Europe. Mm. So that's, uh, you know, I had different stage into it. And at the beginning, you would have told me when I was 15, oh, you're going to race mm -hmm. in the US. I would have said, I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going to bring me there. And uh, that was a decision, you know, leaving from, I left, I was 19 mm. uh, from home. And uh, I think you have to make decisions in, in your life. And, you know, sometimes they're the good ones, sometimes they're the bad ones. Uh, but you have to be able to stand up to your decision and make it happen, for sure. What was it like to not have an upbringing of, like, having a father that was deep in the motocross industry or had a understanding? Because uh, you went pro very young. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you've obviously, you obviously were just outstanding to the point where people had to pay attention to what yeah, you were doing as a racer um, it was uh, you know my dad didn't know nothing about it and and as i was racing into the 65 and uh, you know up to the 85 or it was 80 at the time but now it's 85 uh, you know he will give me tips from looking at other people but they were the wrong tips <laughs> so i suffered through that a little bit but build experience and i think i was very lucky in my generation uh, my generation was the same one as David Villeman and mm. Stefan Roncada. And we were all pretty lucky because the French Federation got involved uh, with Jackie Vimont, that is, uh, was the first French world champion, actually. Um, and, um, you know, he retired from racing and got involved with the Federation and says, hey, you know, we need to help the youth of a sport and we should be creating not a school, but like uh, a help through uh, helping the young guys to go through the rank and raise the world championship. So basically he created that and the French Federation was the first federation who basically put a school together and basically the kids, uh, Jackie got to pick 10 kids and for every school holidays we had one week of uh, training. And that was a start of basically be able to select the best French rider that they had as a youth and bring them up to the world championship. So that's basically how from me being, uh, you know, no knowledge of, of the sport or my dad or mom being no knowledge of the sport to gain uh, the person who had experience and build uh, help me build up to a world championship very young. And that's, I think, a lot of... Uh, things that federation realized and did afterward today the french federation is doing it still uh, the spanish federation got involved into it and even to the point that they create a race team for youth uh, to be able to enter the european championship so after prado um you know things like that is things that move the sport faster to through it to I mean, young kids to be able to do it. And so for me, basically, it came, I was lucky at that time. And I was still in school. I mean, I was up to, uh, I passed my uh, baccalaureate, which is, I think, up when you're 18. 
So I stayed in school up to that age. I didn't give up school when I was uh, basically 15. So you're a world champion in, in school? Yes, I was. My first world championship, I was still uh, in school, actually. I got lucky that I was uh, with the French Federation, and they got me to the French Olympical School. So basically, I had uh, school uh, from Monday to Friday, and I had two afternoons to be able to train, and I was in Paris, and they had a full campus only for athletes, so I had all the gym, all the trainers on site, and I was free two afternoons to be able to train on a motorcycle. So I was basically, my life was, Monday morning I was uh, allowed to come late to school, so that was like a 10 o'clock to be able to catch the flight from the, from the race. Mm. And then, you know, basically I was a full-on school student with guys who were doing judo, guys who were doing cycling, you know, gymnast, uh, all these guys and they were preparing for Olympics. I was preparing basically for the World Championship. So I was able to do my, my study, which is more math and science, and pass my diploma while doing the racing. So that was, for me, that was very important to my parents. So, you know, they guided me through that and I did it. And that was like, a, you know, a kind of, I was world champion and I passed my baccalaureate, which is, uh, you know, the, the gates to open to go to university. So that was, for me, if everything was normal, because everything had a timing, I didn't have time for anything else. Mm. And I was really focused on racing also. So both put together helped me through, you know, uh, stay on the line and be very dedicated. And uh, that's, you know, that's what I kept through my career, you know, and being able to race again with Stefan Everts or our, uh, RC uh, <laughs> was, uh, you know, these guys, Ricky uh, and Stefan are very dedicated racers. I mean, you're not world champion for no reason mm-hmm. or US champion for no reason. So these guys have been very strong and to be to that level, it's the same thing. It's about dedication and being able to, you know, sometimes to go further than what you think you're capable of and be able to bring it to, uh, you know, to the highest level. Did you at the time have the perspective that it was a good thing to stay in school? Or was there a piece of you that wanted to just do the motocross full time? No, it was not an option. Been, could you have been better if you dedicated full time? Or no, everything was rolling good for me, and basically, I was taught it was not an option. <laughs> so the option was not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to be able to race, you got to be do good in school also, and that was kind of the you know the the cards that my my parents kept through my youth. So I was dedicated in, in working in school and that was the reward to be able to race also mm. at the same time. And I always had, you know, through the through the ranks, I always had good results. I was lucky enough that I didn't get too many injuries also stopped me through the youth. Uh, I just got coupled, but they were not big injuries. And, you know, knowing that's also a dangerous sport, you never know what tomorrow is made of. Mm. You know, it can stop tomorrow and what you do after that. And that's something that my parents really pushed hard. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, uh, I think when I was 14 is when I moved to the Olympical school. And uh, I was talking with my teachers and they all knew where I was going, but my parents didn't. <laughs> and when he came the time, he says, hey, you know, uh, well, you didn't file the form to be able to go to the next uh, level, you know, uh, to, the, uh, to the next school level. 
And the teacher says, no, 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 we know Sebastian is going to that school. There is no problem. And my parents didn't know about it. <laughs> so that was like, I was very dedicated and I was very set in mind. That's what I wanted to do and, and have the opportunity to do it. And that was the only direction I could go if I wanted to do both at the same time. Did you find working hard at motocross easy in terms of the, the training? Like, were you a guy that loved just the riding or you also liked to do the off-the-bike training as well? Or I guess, did that stuff come easy to you or did you just know that you had to do it? To I do knew well? I had to do it. And, I mean, I loved the riding part and I know I couldn't get to the riding part that I wanted to if I didn't have the physical condition on the side. So I'm a very bad runner and I'm kind of heavy, but, you know, on my feet. And, but for me, it was not a question. You know, I had, you know, a bit at lunchtime, I had, you know, 40 minutes to be able to go run. So if I would go on the cycle, it would take me way more hours, so I couldn't do it. So mm. I went into the, the running, you know, even if I didn't like it. But I know I did it for purpose. And when you have in mind the purpose, what you're doing it, it's, you know, it's not an option. Basically, it's like, why would I give myself the option because I know that's the right thing to do and and I was so much easier uh, so much harder than you're making it sound though well you know the people around me you know were high level athletes Mm. and basically it's it's a symbiosis you know everybody has the same set of mind you know it's not a question of liking it it's a question that you need to do it because you want to have something on the back end which is do your sport to the high level and I was lucky that the generation that I was with were people who did the Olympicals and and got uh, gold medals uh, still friends from tennis to judo and you know these guys were in the same set of mind you know we have to do it because at the end that's what we want Mm. and if that's the proper way to do it to get there we are doing it it's not a question that do I feel lazy today yes I feel lazy today but you know you know you're going to be the one of the guy who's going to stay no Mm. all the other guys are going (laughs) so you're going to go and that's you know Basically, that's, that was a good uh, sport uh, spirit. And I think uh, where you are is a good sport spirit. I mean, today you see uh, Alan Baker doing great success with the way he brings riders for, to the high level. And it's the same thing. It's a symbiosis. You know, when you have the right symbiosis and the right person around you, it's easier to do it. And everybody has a common goal. And at the end of the day, the common goal is, is to win races yeah yeah i mean it's uh like the way that you describe it it makes so much sense and it's this this seems like the perfect roadmap but to do the road miles and to stay committed and to do work with all the distractions and wanting it's to harder when you're by yourself for sure yeah so you really think that just being in that academy was just the thing that gave you the momentum i guess to yeah it yeah. is and and on top of it i was lucky because I was doing that, but it was not people who were basically competing against me. Mm. They were competing in other sports. So it felt like a team even though. Exactly. It was like a team through the week and then everyone went off and did their own thing. Yeah, exactly. And that was a good part of it because like, you know, you came back on Monday and says, hey, what you do? What you do? You know, we talked about our result and how, you know, how did you handle it? You know, when you had like a pressure on and and going to race where for me it was a race, for them it was tournament. You know, like, you know, that one was was rough. We knew the team was going to be that way. And then how did you handle it? And it's like, you know, different athletes communicating to 
to basically how they live the, the, the experience. And then after, when you go to a race, you have like, you know, things with clicks because you know they handle it that way. Mm. So let's try it. Let's see if it works. What was some of, do you remember any like key lessons that you had that really changed uh, some things for you? Uh, Sometimes I'm too dedicated. I say I'm willing to go too far. Mm. And uh, I think when I came to the U.S., um, that's something who bite me back in the ass and, and really? got injured uh, because uh, I think I was pushing, you know, to be, uh, I was pushing for sure. Uh, but sometimes I would not, you know, stop at the limit that it was reasonable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think when I had the, the same riders around me, not riders, but athletes around me, that give you that awareness that sometimes when you push it, you see the other guys also getting hurt. Mm. So you back off. And when I came to the US, I was um, basically, I didn't have these people around me. I was more my own. Yeah. I was with the race team. So I, had to ma- I was older, of course, but I still have to manage things a little bit uh, my way. And, and sometimes, you know, I did mistakes that um, I should have known about it better. Mm. But, you know, I got injured. And obviously, it's, it's the worst thing for an athlete to get injured. Uh, you have to, you know, you are stopping your momentum. Yeah, it's like you fall to the bottom of a mountain kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it depends on the injury that you yeah. have. But, you know, basically, you have to catch up. Yeah. You know, because... It's like you know the trail, you know how to get back there, but it, you have to actually take the time. You can't yeah. supplement the time. No, and, and when you're not out there... The other guys are progressing, yeah, and they are progressing. So that means you are regressing because you are not moving forward. Mm. You know, if every year you stay to the same level, basically you're not progressing; you're regressing because the sport is moving forward because they're getting used to the new material that they have in their hands. You know, the new setups, the new chassis, the new engines, the new you know. There's always something new coming into the sport. You cannot compare. Uh, you know, a guy who was riding five years, ten years ago to a guy who's riding today mm. because the, the evolution into our industry is fast and there's new things to make it always better. So when you sit on the sideline for, for one year, you still get the material, but you don't have the evolution that you had in your mind and you know, the, the connection is a little bit off and you have to catch up always. So where did your technique come from? Because you've always had, I mean, even 96, 97, 90, mm-hmm. well, 94 was your debut. Yeah, in the European Championship, 94. And then 95 yeah. in the World Championship. Yeah. So that's a long time ago now. Yeah, And it it's is. a very modern technique that you had, a very modern riding style. It was just, I think, um, Jackie Vimon, who was my coach at the time. Uh, we, he was my coach until I went to the US. Mm-hmm. Um he was one of the guys who was at the time racing uh, with JT Racing. Uh, they call it the Pink Panther at the time. And he was already turned a lot toward the US. And uh, he was already, you know, thinking that Supercross was an evolution that a rider needed to have. So he was very aware of that. And basically his coaching was, um, he's the one who taught me my, the, my base and the way of thinking on a, on a motorcycle. And that was already very progressive at the time. And that's why I was able to, to become a rider that came through the ranks very fast. And uh, Jackie still trained today. You know, he's still behind riders who got championships and he's doing a good, you know, 
he still is a very proactive guy and he's not you know sitting on his uh, knowledge but mm. he's always piling new knowledge you know he worked last year with Roman Fev who almost got the championship he's working with SeaWorld this year okay. and he's um, he's very dedicated to the sport and uh, he knows what's what's you know what athletes need to go to the to the level and that's I think it's the first lesson that you have I mean that's what I learned after I retired and I passed my diploma to be a coach uh, because in France you have to have a diploma same as in Australia I mean actually I passed the Australian diploma also to be a coach to the level two so it's that uh, the first sentence you learn is there's no bad students there's only bad coaches I agree with that and and that's you know the that come from the the coach be able to adapt and give the information to the rider and that's you know a rider will take that information that way another one will take it the other way but you have to be able to change the way you communicate to adapt that rider to that information and I think that's a lot is coming from the set of mind that you have. Mm. Uh, uh, it's not there's not a set rules to be world champion because every rider is different. I mean, you cannot train uh, Jed Lawrence the same thing as uh, Erlings mm. or uh, as a Tomac. You know, they have different roadmaps, and basically you have to adapt to that roadmaps that is best for the rider. And that's something that I think Jackie was able to do with me. And we got, you know, a very successful world championship together. And after when I came to the U.S., I was able to uh, basically at the end, I connected with Ricky Johnson, who was uh, who helped me tremendously for Supercross. And before I retired, the last four years that I was there with him training, got me a very good push on Supercross. And I made great progress with it. And that's because basically the, the surrounding of people you get to your side, that is effective. Um, but for that, that person needs to be somebody that is capable of adapting to the rider. Mm. It's not the opposite way. It's not the rider who has to adapt to the coach. It's the coach who has to be able to give the information that the riders need. And sometimes is uh, maybe will be uh, uh, you did great, or sometimes will be no you you did ass and you move yeah. the butt and get it going. But that is a relation that you build with the right person. And and so. Did the, I guess, did the results come kind of easy to you? You made it look pretty easy. In yeah, those actually, first my career years. was very, uh, very straightforward. I mean, straight from a young age, I got, uh, I mean, I was always top three. I think I, it's rarely for me where I didn't finish on the podium of a championship, except maybe for an injury. But straight from, I mean, I started racing my first race, I think I was four and a half. Uh, no, I got four and a half. I got on the motorcycle. I raced it. I raced when I was six. Okay. And I did good the first race. And then actually the first race I had was a mop, mop uh, cross. And the guys see that, that little kid coming in and they are like, yeah, yeah, you, it's, you have a, you know, I think I had a PW40 or something like that, um, or Honda. And they say, oh, yeah, you can race with us. You know, I was with uh, jeans and uh, rubber boots. And yeah, yeah, you can handle it. I got the, the helmet from my grandma who had like a Solex. <laughs> we'll take him in. I beat all of them. They say, no, you cannot come next weekend. Really? <laughs> so they say, you need to go to motocross, you know, and they send me, send my parents to the right place to do motocross well, yeah. and get licensed and, and do all that stuff. So you but guys just had no idea? Zero. Zero, for sure. It was like, I mean, 
yeah, it was just, uh, you know, the neighbor came one day because he heard me riding at the farm. And he says, you know, next week they have a race there. You should, you know, your kid is riding. You should send him to the race. Oh, yeah, we'll go. And that's, that's how we started. That's crazy. Simply. And then from there, you know, I was lucky. And then I did some races in the south of France where, where you know, they did kids, uh, kid race. And I got up in front, you know, top three, top two all the time. And then basically my passion, uh, my parents grew the passion also for the sports. And we did that as a, as a family. And we were able to go to different, you know, championship, different championship and evolve and, and learn as we went. And uh, basically I was super lucky that, you know, through my racing career, I got all the steps that needed to be there. Uh, if I didn't win, I was top two, top three all the time. In my first year in European, I, I battled for the championship where nobody knew where I was coming from. And first year in the world championship, I finished third. Uh, you know, first world, uh, first world championship, I think at the time you need to be 16. So I turned 16 like three or four days before the final, go to the final. And that was funny because the week before I was talking with the French guys who were already doing the world championship. And they said, don't worry if you don't qualify, you know, it's, it's normal, it's your first experience. And that's, you know, don't take it personally for us. It took years to get there and everything. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I went there and I did fourth lap times. First moto I finished, uh, actually the first moto of the world championship. Uh, the world champion was my ride, it was Kiko Kyori, and the second was battling was uh, Puzar. I beat them on lap time, so I go on a gate before them, and then one came to my right, one came to my left, and I'm like, shit, <laughs> what I'm doing now? And I saw the gate drop, but I didn't go. Really? So I got, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, the first time the gate dropped, I'm like, I messed up. So I started way back, and I catch up to uh, <laughs> eight positions, which was really good. And on the second moto, now I was ready, and I started like uh, six, seven, and I finished fourth. And at some point I was third, but the old guy had more experience than me, and he let me go by, and on the last lap he was able to pass me back. Dave Strabos. And um, it was like, for me, it came naturally to be, I didn't ever ask myself the question. You know, my, my place was there. It was not a question if I was gonna finish 15, or it, for me, I entered the race, no question asked. You know, I know I belong on the front, not on the back. Um, so then I guess that, that first season um, that you're in the World Championship, so where did you end up in that, that first Third. season? Third. In the Third, first yeah. Season. I, I think it's um, the funny story of my first season in the World Championship was uh, then I did the first GP and uh, I got selected by uh, Kawasaki Europe, Yen de Groot at the time. And he saw me race and he says, oh, I need that kid. But he wanted me to race uh, 250 at the mm. time already. And I was what? I was uh, just just turned 16. He says, no, no, we need to, I want you next year to race 250. So he invited me with Jackie to, to race, uh, to try the 250 factory bike that actually Stefan Everts was racing and was world champion on. And, uh, you know, it was like, and I did good. Uh, I mean, for me, I was 16, you know, careless. And I rode the, that was my, probably one of my first time riding a 250, full factory. And I did good. He says, no, I want, want you next year to race uh, 250. And Jackie says, no, it's not possible. He never raced, he never rode a 250. Because you're a pretty big kid, yeah? Yeah, I was always pretty built, yeah. like strong built. And he says, no, you need to, you know, 
he can he, he will ride 250 for you but you need to let him at least two years in a 125 so he can do his lessons and then you can sign him for two years in a 250 he says okay I'll, you know, no development on 125 Kawasaki. He says, I'll do a 125 for him, but with that agreement that if you get a world championship, he's automatically uh, signed up for two more years with me in the 250 championship. Uh, so, and so I went the first year and I did uh, the 125. And the, at the time, we were sponsored by, the team was sponsored by uh, Rental. Mm. And we had the, the thin bars, you know, not the twin walls or not the fat bars. Yeah, okay. I bent it that season 50 bars. Really? 50, five, Just zero. from riding. Just from riding, crashing and doing all that stuff. My team manager, so it was Ryan Jan de Groot, basically was keeping the bars and sending them back to rental, saying, I'm not selling the bars, it's just the kid is going through it. <laughs> so that, that was like massive. But you see, I mean, you use a couple of footage of me riding with the Oxbow gear at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that, you know, Ninja Turtle kind of gear was yeah. like very flashy. Yeah. And uh, crashing and not, you know, I was pretty flexible and, and I didn't get injured. But I, I went through 50 sets of bar that season. I finished third in the world championship, but that was like a pretty massive, yeah, quite a bit some get off. But I learned from it and got the world championship the following year. So it was from crashing that you were bending? Crashing. So purely crashing. Why were you crashing so much? Young and pushing the limits. Just trying and, really And hard. trying. And, you know, basically that season, I could have done even better in the world championship, but I got uh, two DNF were due to bike failure. And, um, you know, he took some points away to be able to be on the front, but you know, finishing third was for the first season was already uh, awesome results, and that was like you know, I was in a good position for for a championship the following year, and that's that's what happened. Even if the first race didn't start very good, I think I went to the first race it was in Italy, and first moto, my I broke my caliper front brake caliper. So it was a Italian track with a big uphill and downhill. So no front brake. Mm. And I think I finished six or something like that. And then the second moto, I was not going to do, uh, I think I was going to do third or something like that. Not great, uh, you know, because I was pretending to be world champion that season, but not to that level. And then my bike blew up because uh, my mechanic forgot to tie up the, um, uh, the water pump, the, mm. how you call that? The, like the, the header, hose. yeah, the yeah, hose, yeah, yeah, you yeah. clamp yeah, it properly yeah, yeah. and then uh, the water came off and I blew up the engine. So that was like first race of the season. Uh, that was a bad race. And then uh, then after that, I had 11 more races and I actually won every, uh, the other 11 races that season. That's so crazy. Yeah. Are you kind of glad though that you didn't win that first championship because it would have forced you to go up or would you have been okay with just going up straight away? Like, do you think that you needed the experience? Or I mean, for sure, I needed the experience, you know. And and that's I think that was uh, you know the steps to do it. You know, there's steps uh, you cannot burn some steps. You know, mm. there's things that you do. I mean, you even seen I don't know if you know the career of Paul Malin. Uh, which is the commentator of the MXGP today. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, actually, we raced 125 together. The year okay. I was world champion, he was uh, second in the world championship. Uh, okay. But his career is completely different. He started with the 500 two strokes with Kawasaki, then went to 250, and then finished in 125. Wow. <laughs> he did the things backward. That's crazy. So that's crazy. But that's the way, you know, things have a way to work for, for different person in different ways. And and for me, I think my steps were, were able to do this, and that was the fast, 
you know, really the, my European career was very fast. Mm. And uh, after I got the world championship with uh, Stefan, um, you know, the decision was already made that I was going to uh, to the U.S. You know, during the season, Cliff White, who, which was the manager of American Honda, came to the GP uh to help stefan everts who was my competitor but the same day we signed a contract for me to race the next uh, two years in the u.s so that was like halfway in the season so that was uh, you know for me it was like I, I signed with factory honda american honda in the middle of my season in europe uh, not knowing if i was going to get a world championship or not mm. and that was i knew already that was my last season in Europe for for the next you know steps so that was like you know I say you know I mean that didn't happen by by chance I guess and uh, but that was the way things uh, I wanted to go to the US and that was a good opportunity for me to go when did the US thing like enter your mind um, I think after I got my 125 world championship that was, uh, you know, we were lucky at the time that the French uh, Federation had a Supercross championship. Uh, we were one of the first uh, mm. country who had a, a Supercross. Uh, I think we had like six or seven races indoors and outdoors. And uh, it was very popular at the time to do Supercross in the summer. So every, like it was crazy, but you could have every weekend you could ride Supercross and championships, you know. So that was pretty good for the for the crowd that Villemin and Roncada was. Mm. That's why so we that's why those guys were so good at exactly. Supercross. Exactly. As a kid, we rode Supercross in 125. Yeah. Uh, it was not the stadium size Supercross like you have in the US, but we had knowledge of Supercross. Yeah. And France was pretty proactive in that. And you know, people, local club will do a Supercross event and will get a massive crowd in the summer. And that was a big, big step for Supercross in France. That died off for today. I mean, people don't go to on the Saturday night on the Supercross anymore as it used to be popular, but they had a big wave at some point. That was a perfect way for us to, to serve mm. uh, that, you know, three, three guys. You know, Villemin is a year older than me. Stefan Roncala is the same age as me. So that that's what gives us the opportunity to ride Supercross, no Supercross, and go to the U.S. And uh, I think GMB, Jean-Michel Bear, was the first one to do it also. Mm. His own way, on his own. Uh, but that created also the path for us to come through and I think more riders from different countries. Chad was the same thing. Yeah. Chad raced uh, basically the team, that uh, Kawasaki team with Jan de Groot in Europe. And then moved to the U.S. after that also because that was his his way of things. But he made a big step to go to Europe and then from Europe to to the U.S. because he was detected by the by the U.S. guys. So there's a, I guess like with your career, you're racing against some gnarly dudes. I mean, you win the your third the first year, then you win the championship in the one two fives, and then bang, you're up against Stefan Everts. Did did you win the first year debut? No, I was battling with him. I was young and fast and I crashed and I actually broke my neck. I broke C5. In the first, in your first, first 250? Year, yeah, first year in 250. Ooh. I was battling with Stefan and in Venezuela, I was, uh, I went over the bars and, and broke my neck. And wow. Yeah, that was, that was like. Was just, that your first main big injury? Yeah, first, I think it, it is my biggest injury anyway. At the end of the day, when you get close to that. I mean, I was lucky. It was a stable and no con uh, no consequences or anything. But, you know, the I mean, I crashed. I was leading the race on my own and I was just young and, and stupid and kept pushing and pushing. And, you know, 
no was not the answer and uh, I went over the bars and hit uh, the next jump who was behind and um, but I was already battling with Stefan that year and I think coming from the 125 I was faster than these guys uh, because I was the youth but that not bite me also yeah, yeah exactly bite me in the butt for sure and the second year you know it's funny because the second year I came to the world championship with Stefan the year before I was like every time practice I was like two seconds faster than anybody on the track the second year I came around these guys were faster than me actually <laughs> I was like for me to get a, a first lap time he was like I, I could try and I wouldn't get it but that's the year I got the world championship uh, because I mean these guys over the winter step it up big time Really? So you think that you influenced them like yeah. wanting to get more speed? Yeah. And it, it was weird because it's the same thing that happened to me when I went with the French riders to the World Championship. They were basically just barely breaking into the points. Mm. And that was what it was. I came in. I was already a top five rider right away. And basically when I came in, I pushed the other guys straight to the top. And the following year, they were all... I think we f when I won the World Championship, uh, five in the top five was four French guys. You had like, I won the championship, Malin was second, and then third was uh, Fred Vial, uh, Vial's, uh, Tom Vial's, Tom Vial's father, and then after it was Maschio. And then the following year, I think it was Maschio got the World Championship, and some, but I just brought the generation with it. And I think it's the same thing. When you see today a guy who come from the 250F, and goes to the main class the first year he kind of push everybody to i mean he can it's kind of a wake-up call mm -hmm. for everybody oh that dude is fast now and you know if it's a guy most of the time there's some guys who are capable of stay there and don't get injured the first year you had a gauger who was able to do that team uh, but most of the time they, they kind of get into an injury but they push the sport to go higher mm -hmm. and then the second year around everybody's back up to that level now yeah. And you see it a lot, you know, happening when, when you younger guys come into play. Where do you think that that extra speed come from for you? Like, think, why were you just able to go that fast? I think uh, for me, it's, it was going fast was not the question. You know, my thing was I wanted to win badly and going fast was a way to get there. <laughs> you know, same as training. You know, if you wanna if you wanna win, you need to be fast. If you wanna be on top of the podium, you need to train. You know, it's it's steps that are below that need to go need to happen. You know, and basically, if you have a set mind that it's what's what's going on, but that's what you go go through. And I got lucky that all through my career, I was always in the right position at the right place, and I never. For me, I never enter a, question, a race with the question, do I belong there, where I'm gonna finish? Mm. That never crossed my mind ever in my life. You know, for me, I knew my place was in the front. It's pretty cool. Yeah, not, no, no, but that's why I was pretty lucky to my career. It's mm. like, you know, I never really, you know, people have that pressure sometimes. They like feel the like- the doubt, the self-doubt Yeah, the doubt and everything. And I think at the end of the day, I took things a different way, you know? I mean, if something happened and you're not there, there's a reason why, mm. you know? And you need to find that reason why and change it for the next time. If you can change it, if it's not the next time, it has to be the next time after that because you don't have time to waste. A career is very short. I mean, we are, 
a good example that uh, Carmichael, you know, we were teammate. When I was Kawasaki, he was Kawasaki. Yeah. Then I went to Honda, he went to Honda. Then he, I went to Suzuki, he was Suzuki. He didn't follow me at KTM. <laughs> That's the only thing. But he like, hey, dude, you know, basically racers are like tear off. You know, yeah. when he's dirty, you just pull it off and there's a brand new one waiting to come up. Yeah. And he, he was very right about it, you know, and and that's the way we are. I mean, we are racer. We, it's like, you know, we are good until you know we are good. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that's it. There is no question. And they will change for the next one when it's needed. So take the best of the time you have. Don't ask yourself the question. If you're meant to, to be in front, do everything you can to be in front. Yeah. So was there any level of intimidation that you felt by a guy like Stefan Evitz? You just kind of got in there and like... No, no, actually... Because there's I not mean, many people that beat him for a world championship. No, And yeah. you beat him in your in his prime too. Yeah, true. But it's... Um, I never asked myself the question. You know, that's... that's didn't matter. Didn't matter. For me, it was not even... A, it, it was never a question. I mean... I mean, I know I belong uh, there, and that was that was it. You know, during the year, actually, I was doing the 125 and got World Championship. At the time, you could have a wild card; it's called. Mm. So <clears throat> I was able to arrange the French Championship on the 250 class, even if it was not my class. And uh, I think I finished uh, on the podium that day. And uh, I think I, the first moto at the bad start, I finished fifth, and the second I won the moto, or something like that. So. I mean, for me, I, I went there and it's just a question about racing. You know, mm. I love racing. That's what I think for me, um, motorcycle was the way to be a racer uh, of getting that feel of winning. And if you gave me a, a clubs or a racket, you know, in my hands to do play tennis, it would have been the same thing. You know, is that... You're just a competitor. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think I was always like that. It was not even a question that if I did something and and basically I had to push to get it, I would do it. And I think that's a set of mine, you know. And and that's why I mean, my racing career is was what it was. You know, I'm I'm sad I didn't get the uh, at least a U.S. championship. Uh, I finished second, but RC was better than me, you know, and, and that's the way you fall into places. I mean, I got an American championship. I won Laurel Aline, so I'm, I have a championship. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same as the one I wanted. Um, but it's, uh, you know, what I wanted to say is, even today, you know, when I'm working with Stark, uh, future, but developing the bike is the same thing. For me, it's a question of um, finding that that edge will make you the best. Mm. And basically today what we are doing is the same thing as a company. We are trying to basically find that new bike that is, you know, the thing that make you win. And basically the motivation is to have an electric bike beat a gas bike. Mm. And that's basically the end goal of it. So somewhere I'm not a racer no more, but the set mine is still the same. You know, it's like you basically, you know, my life has been the same. It's just, you know, being able to get that, basically it's an adrenaline that, you know, you're built into. Mm. I mean, I, that's what I got when I was, you know, I jumped on the bike for the first time and I was six. I mean, I had to choose between doing a judo or motocross and I went to, cool. uh, to motocross. And, um, and that, that was, you know, that feeling that I think when you do a, a, a sport like motocross, 
you basically you're taking your own chance and you're responsible for your own things and that's something that i really loved because if you do the right things you get the rewards from it if you do the wrong thing you get the failure you from get it the also <laughs> from that, yeah. <laughs> the wrong one yeah, yeah. so that's why i think the the sports this sport motivated me all the way and uh, i mean it's basically became a set of mine you know it's just the for me that's the way things are built and i look at it i'm lucky that i can still look at it mm. uh, in everything that i do the same way do you remember where that mentality came from i don't know for me i don't know if i was built with it if it's the way i was raised um it was never a question you know when i was younger i made the decision to go to uh, you know seven eight hours away from from my own you know town where we had three thousand people to uh, paris which is the main city to go to school there um it was just for me it felt natural mm. because like it's just the maybe it's a sacrifice but i don't look at it as a sacrifice mm. i look at it as a, a pathway necessary yeah exactly and i mean when you go to the first corner and you get 40 guys who are coming to be the first in the first corner is the same thing you know it's a dedication i mean if you think you're going to be first in that corner you're going to be first in that corner mm -hmm. if the mindset that you're doubting about it then you're going to be one of the guys who are in the middle of the pack or on the back you know and and that's all that confidence come from many parts you know you have a mental i think is like maybe 70 percent of it but the 70 percent of it come from how you develop your bike that you're riding, how much you trust it, how much you trust in the team, how much, you know, everything got together and got you into that position. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, there's a difference between thinking and knowing. Yeah, for sure. And there, uh, the whole shot is a perfect example. And I remember when I was in the US working with the JDR team, we'd have Ryan Marmont was a really good mm -hmm. starter. And... Uh, he just knew he was a good starter he didn't think he was a good starter and yeah. there was a there was a period you look at a guy like Alessi like he didn't yeah. think he would get the whole shot he knew he would get the whole shot exactly and I think that that really carries over into life in general if you re if you know something then it just almost seems like it comes so effortlessly but you don't ask the question yeah you know yeah and and I was lucky in my career it was always like that you know I knew I belonged in the front it was not a question of if, maybe, no, I knew. Mm. And I think all champions are built that way. You know, they, they know that's their place. It's not a question. It's just a fact. Yeah, yeah. So, no, so it's cool that you kind of had that, you know, carried that confidence through um, through your whole life. So the battles with Everts and to win that championship, like, did you realize the significance of winning that motocross championship against Stefan Evitz. I mean, he's the best to yeah, ever no. do it in Europe. You know, it's, it's when I was 16 uh, and I got to my 125 uh, world championship, uh, I was teammate with uh, Frederic Bollet, mm. you know, which is multi-time world champion now. But at the time he was not. He was older than me and uh, I was, you know, young and I was going through things. And I got my 125 world champion a chip, and he's like, "Do you realize that you're one, one of the guys who have a world championship? I mean, there's hundreds of guys who won a world championship." And he looked at me like, "You don't even look excited." Mm. 
And I'm like, and my first answer was like, well, you know, I'm super happy, but it's not even, for me, it was not even a question. You know, I won 11 races. I didn't even ask myself any question. It was just, for me, I was going to win the next one and one one, and then that was, that's the way it was going. So I'm like, man, if I was world champion, I'd be, you know, I'd be crazy. But for me, it was just a step. Mm-hmm. It was not even like, you know, it became something where it was not normal, but it was just a step to the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's funny because then I went to the to Greece to uh, and I got my world championship. I'll talk about it after. And I was world champion. I wore the number one plate uh, the following year, but only for one race. The last final was in the U.S. at Bud's Quick, and Fred Bolle was world champion that year. So I gave him the, the number one plate. I basically took it off of my bike, asked Honda because the number one plate was were something that they don't give away, and asked the authorization to the team manager to get it. So I took my number one plate, with number one, and I gave it to Fred. You know, Fred Bolle at the time, and I say, hey, <laughs> so what do you feel now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a pretty cool, I mean, that was a pretty cool feel because he was a good friend of mine. We were teammates for a long time. And he was like, I mean, he got another world championship after that one. But, the, you know, that the exchange of two athletes, you know, knowing yeah. for each other for a long time and be able to give it to him was, was cool. But I came back to the to the final where I was, uh, I beat Stefan. And... Um, I mean, he came down to the wire, you know, to the last moto. I mean, that's the way it was. Who was world champion of the last uh, last moto? Uh, Would be whoever finished f- f- yeah. first will get it. So that was the way it was. Which is crazy. That doesn't happen much. No, no, no. It doesn't happen. And last year it happens uh, with Fevre, I think. No, yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, happened yeah, in the islands. Yeah. But I mean, for me, the fir- we had two motos, and the first moto, I mean, Stefan was uh, nine points ahead. And somebody had to step between each other for me to, to have the possibilities of being yep, world champion. Yep. And Pete Barrow did, you know. And uh, so that was like, uh, I mean, I knew Pete for a long time. And, you know, he, he was the only one who was, I'm going to race the race like it's my race. And, you know, if your guys are in front, you're in front. If I'm faster than you, I'm going to beat you. And that's the end of it. And it was great because he just kept his position and race like he was normal. So I was able to finish first and Stefan finished third. So that made us, you know, we had an hour basically between the two motos. And in, in that hour, for me, it's like, I came out and getting ready for the next race. And I knew when I left my, my truck that I was going to be the world champion. I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to be a world cha- not world champion. Everything was like, for me, it was like, it, it, it was not possible uh, any other way. And um, I had no doubt. I came to the gate and you had the, you know, the, the paddock where you sit. And uh, I went to Stefan and before the start, I went to him and I shake his hand and I say, good luck, man. And I walked away. And things that I never did ever, but I knew that I was like, for me, it was not even a question. And I, I knew what I was going to do. And 
and the race plan exactly that I, the way I thought it was going to be. I knew I was going to let him get the start and start between, you know, behind him and wait for 20 minutes because he was he had a little bit of deep at 20 minutes and just put the hammer down and, and, and get it. And it just, that's the way it went. And for me, it was like, I, I, at the time, I told my wife, I'm like, when I come back, I'll be world champion. And that's the way it went. That's insane, dude. Mm-hmm. Especially to game plan to give somebody the lead. I don't think there'd be many people. I, I don't know that that is a part of many people's game plan these days. He just had, you know, I had a tough season with him. And, you know, and basically I think things changed uh, the week before we had a race in, um, where was it? Uh, in Switzerland, actually. And uh, it got a little bit rough between each other and I took him out. <laughs> and I think that that was the thing who created a, a big doubt in his mind because he was like, that guy doesn't give up. Mm. And I think that was a big difference between him and I. Yeah. He's like, his rally style was very more settled and, and smooth and fast. And I was really aggressive. So he basically, I kind of changed his plan completely. And he didn't know what to expect from me. And I think that's what made the doubt in his mind. And the simple doubt makes the, the whole difference. And I guess I could feel it as another racer. Mm. And I think it was the same thing for me in the US when I battled with uh, RC uh, because we are built the same way. And he knew I didn't back down, but I knew also that he wouldn't back down. And that's why I took chances and that's how I got hurt. But I knew for me that was the only way to get through him because I basically was the same image I was battling against myself. Mm-hmm. And I knew what he was capable of doing and I was the same. And he took changes, his worked out, mine didn't, but that's the way it was. Yeah, I mean, you probably, as a fan that could sit there and watch every minute of those races, we could, we're watching the same race, but from your viewpoint, you would know Stefan Everts so much better than anyone could that watched the same race because of, I guess, the angle that, that you're yeah. seeing it mm-hmm. from. So you probably, you probably knew in some ways more about him than he knew about himself. It's, it's true. I mean, you know, I was, like I say, I was one, the only rider who was able to beat him. And, um, you know, and, and I think he was, the game, it's, it's not a game, but it's, at the end of the day, it's a game. It's a mental game. Mm-hmm. And there were many games during the, the season. You know, uh, Stefan came out with a single who was uh, basically entitled uh, Try to Beat Me during the season. And uh, I, it was because he was, you know, Stefan Everts, and he was, that song was a techno song, and it became very popular in, in really? Belgium. He was like number one or number two for a while. Well, he made the he song. He made the song. He it was like a song. techno song. Yeah. If you what? if you go online and you go, the song "Try to Beat Me," you'll find it from Stefan Everts. Yes. But you know that was a game plan because for me, it was like okay directed directly at me as a diss when, track when i learn about it you know people will i mean some people will be like okay you know fuck he's not even considering me for me it was an extra motivation to kill yeah, him yeah, yeah. you know and then after he did the other mistake that that season he was unbeated uh, at a track called fox hill in england yeah 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 which and is a sick track huh it's an awesome track i yeah, love that track yeah. it's a very difficult track but it's a great track 
and he won there like four times in a row or something. And he declared to the press that, oh no, we should call that track Stefan's Hill. That was the thing that you shouldn't say for me. <laughs> it's like, I was like making a point that I had to kill him that day. And if you look at the race in 98, we raced Fox Hill, you can see how aggressive I am on him. But for me, it was like things you cannot do. <laughs> if you start to poke me, you get me directly. <laughs> and, you know, he had a few steps like that. We were like, I think he didn't understand the way I was working. Mm. And basically, for him, because in the past he worked with other riders, he didn't understand that it was, re for me, I mean, on my side, if you attack me that way, you're basically creating the wrong you're answer creating that you a monster. want. Yeah. Because I'm capable of going... 120% if I need to, yeah. you know, and I have no problems with it. As a racer, I was like that. And he didn't get that, that knowledge. And that's something that played against him that year. But he learned from it also at the same time. Oh, man, that is crazy. I never had any idea about that. Yeah, no, but it's, you know, it's the, the plan that goes inside, you know, that's things that... Basically, the general crowd don't know about it, but that's the game, you know. Racing is a small world, and everything knows. I mean, when you're in the world, you know, of the racer, everything goes. You know, today, okay, you have, you know, Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. Mm. And some some guys use uh, pseudos to, to attack each other and stuff like that. But at the time, it was a little bit more direct, and that, that created some, you know, some some fire and some some stuff like that. So... You know, it's, I guess, you know, that's the way racing is all about anyway, yeah. you know, and today it still is the same thing. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things like that who happens on a day-to-day -day base from the racers that most of the crowd don't know. But afterward, if you talk to the guys, you, you will find out that there's a lot, lot of things going on on the backside of things. So what did you know about Stefan Evans that no one else knew? Well, I knew he had a weak point at 20 minutes. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, but and did people would people around you tell you that he was unbeatable and he was the man? No, none of the not, people not around like around me. you. But was that the vibe? Was that you can't beat Stefan? I didn't he care. Was, and you just was just like fuck that. I can beat this dude. Yeah, for me, it was not even a question if I could beat him or not beat him. I knew I could beat him. I, I mean, he spanked me in a mall, which was a sand track uh, close to his uh, town where he was uh, born or was, was living. And um, that track was a, a beach sand, uh, yellow, but with uphill and downhills, which in the sand is uh, something crazy a little bit. And I came to the first practice, and Stefan was just a second in front of me. We were like four seconds faster than the other guys, but he was just a second faster than me. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I know he's a good sand rider, but I, I mean, one second I can get him. And then the second practice come around and he's four seconds faster than me. And I'm four <laughs> seconds again faster than the other Whoa, guys. That's and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I pushed. I mean, I'm on my game. I'm running well. And then I'm like, damn, you know, today I'm going to have to settle for second. But I'm like, I was okay with that. I knew that was not going to be an easy one, but I, I can settle for that. Let's go for the first start. I'm like, I'm still going to try because if he's that fast, I need to get on his tail and see what is the we'll difference. Learn, and yeah. How does he do it? He get the whole shot. I don't. I, I start third or something. By the time I get to second, he was first lap. 
he was already 12 seconds ahead. Wow. First lap. So I didn't see him. I'm like, okay, you know, okay, you got it. Granted, you, you, you beat me. Let's do the second model. You know, I got to make sure I get right on his tail and, and get it. Got the second, he start first, I got second. And I could barely hold him, you know, like, but he start first second, first lap, he had three seconds on me. And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Anyone, no problem. And I have to admit, I mean, he was unbelievable, surfing and so fast. A couple of years ago, I was talking with him in, uh, in England. And I'm like, we were talking about sand or something. And he's like, hey, do you remember more when I beat you so bad? It's like, definitely, <laughs> rubbing it in. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, yeah, definitely, you were the best that day. I mean, uh, no question, you know. And he said, well, you know, that's when I got the first purely new tire, which was like a, with a the, scoop. the scoop. Oh. It was a legal scoop with the height and everything. Yeah. And he said that was different from the first practice to the second practice. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> so in your head, he was just, he just yeah, absolutely for me, it was unbelievable you. in the sand. And I knew that, you know, sand like Vakansvard, which is hot sand. I could, you know, I actually won Vakansvard in front of him. But that deep sand, he was just uh, miles uh, he away. He was just on a different block. And, he wasn't, yeah. and actually, you know, there was a technical reason why. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't know. And it's all, you know, games like that that comes in. Yeah, that's crazy. Did you... Uh, so in a normal sand when you're on an equal sort of stuff you actually don't think that he was that much faster than you in the sand on deep sand i'm pretty sure he was still faster than me but yeah. not to that extreme what did, what did he what does he do different do you think it's just I mean, a feeling it, that he has it, with it i mean i would say you know he grew up in the sand uh he used less less effort to ride in the sand if you look at the, you know a guy like erlins today he's mm, natural on the sand and I think to um, a pro racer will know how to ride in the sand, even if he's not from the sand. Yeah. Uh, today, I mean, you look at the uh, team Gajer, he's not a sand rider, but he won many times Lomel and he's been able to, to be there. Um, so I think to a certain level, you're capable of adapting mm -hmm. and to be up there on the front, maybe not as much as a specialist like sand guys. Uh, but we don't have sand guys specialist that we used to have back in the days. Now mm -hmm. everybody gets up there, kind of a good level, and we have now the knowledge of the suspension setups and yeah, yeah. all this. Who makes a big difference at the end of the day? Where back in the days we didn't, you know. Um, so there's little, little details where everything is to a next level, but. Uh, I definitely think uh, you know the guys from Belgium and Netherlands still have a, a touch of finesse that mm. we don't have uh, to get to that level and and be as good as they are in the sand for sure. And it's it, I mean it's like you know I grew up in dirt, uh, I didn't grow up in the sand, and they rode sand since they are on the bikes, mm. and so they have that extra feeling that it's make them a little bit better with, uh, capable of making that difference at some point mm. and um it's the same thing as um when you say a guy is talented um is because as a kid uh, fairly young he discovered the sport he was not specially racing but he discovered the sport the feeling of the sport and most likely when you get a kid who who, who do that sport at a young age naturally develop a talent 
and there's a lot of you know thinking behind it from philosophers and, and mm. people you can read books about it and there's the most of it they say a champion is built uh, at least his knowledge and his uh, uh, the way he does things mm-hmm. you know if you it's like you know if you give a, uh, a kid a club of golf he will be and you start letting him hit when he's very small and you let him play w- uh, play with it he will be you know like Tiger Wood he will develop the sport and it's the same thing with our sport you know dirt bikes is the same I mean I rode a, a dirt bike when I was four and but I didn't know what I was doing I was just riding in the in in the prairie or whatever and I was just discovering the sport and creating um, natural reaction that a kid develop mm. and I think a lot of sports is the same you know when you create that thing it's it become natural you don't even think about it and to attack a sport when you're 12 or 14 is a way tougher tougher way of making it and and a lot of hard work than when you're a young guy you would just do it as a natural thing I am. Um, I just finished reading a book on, I guess, not so much talent, but I guess talent in a sense is how you become an expert in things and in the science of expertise, essentially. Um, and basically, because I mean, I grew up at a time where I, I didn't have access to riding all the time. I, I rode when I was from four to six, and then I had a crash, and then I, my mum basically said, "You have to stop riding." No more, I had and then, <laughs> yeah, and then I got a, I got a job, and I saved for my own bike. And it wasn't until I was fifteen that I could buy my own motorcycle, and then, that, so that's when I started riding. So I had this huge gap of of riding, and I just thought I wasn't talented at riding mm-hmm. and um, and then that was just the mental thing where I'd, I'd, it almost made me not try that hard because I knew that I wasn't talented I wasn't you know and I think obviously you missed the window to, to kind of go pro but I think I um, it's only been the last few years that I've gotten I've invested in getting better at riding and I've made like massive progress and this book is basically just shatters the idea of child prodigies and shatters the idea of of talent and all of the science and all of the studies that they've done it's mostly done on music music uh mm-hmm. musicians like Artist. young musical ch- children um because it's just quite easy to quantify the hours that they practice it's just they're playing a violin you know um and basically it's oftentimes the kids that are initially better that will do worse mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's the kids that are just behind the kids that are doing the best at um, a young age uh, yeah and they'll they'll be the one well essentially the the elite performers or the eventual elite performers are just the ones that are put in the most hours and that's basically just across the board uh, and then even uh in chess the studies showed that it wasn't the people with the highest iq so it's not even about how smart you are. And again, it, that plays into this whole initial thing. Initially, the, the kids that have the higher IQ are better at chess. But because it comes easier to them at the yeah, start, they, they actually don't. They think that it's because they're smarter that they do better. So they don't put in the effort. So, I mean, I, I agree with one, one thing is I think when you develop, you have to develop the talent. Mm. That's for sure. Uh, when you're young, that's... 100% agree with that. And for me, I think you have a reason, you need to have a reason mm. behind it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, whatever your own reason is, or if it's your uh, the reason to existing, the reason to be better than a brother, the reason of something. But it's not only the talent. 
you you're a, a champion i think uh, somebody who performed to the highest level is definitely talented but he has a set of mind that he has a reason mm. it's a, a goal that makes you go through basically you can go through the wall for it and it's where the difference is when you're just talented and you rely on your iq or your easiness than compared to the guy that is has the knowledge and is naturally talented because he developed young mm. and is capable of going having the desire or the goal to make it through mm. and i think every champion has a reason why they are doing it it's not you know because they are doing it because they are good at it mm. it's because they have a reason they're good at it because they have exactly and and basically the 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 sport they are doing it or the or, or the the business they are doing it is just a way to express mm-hmm. the fact that they have a reason to do it what it's was the achievement what was your reason do you think uh, my reason was i mean I, I cannot stand to be second. <laughs> it's like, you know, I was, I mean, I'm an only child, so I never had competition with a brother or anything. But uh, for me, it became, I mean, I got, I'm from a small town. I mean, nothing happened in the town. Mm. And uh, for me, it was a way to exist mm-hmm. also, you know, and I think that was my way. And everybody has his own way. Mm. Uh, but I never had any anything in my life will make me kind of, uh, you know, really uh, revolutionary. I mean, like, you know, bite me and say, you know, I want to be better than that. Um, It's just for me, I needed to, inside me, I needed something better. Mm -hmm. I need to move out of that town. I mean, my my family was there for generations. And, um, you know, I needed something to maybe go out and see the world a different way and and achieve something that nobody ever achieved around me mm-hmm. and that was you know I think what drive me and and I think at the end of the day the fact that I I I, I, I could win was the extra things that put me uh, put me you know to the point where I was able to go further mm. than what it is and it was not a question I needed that for some reason man I can kind of relate in a way like we grew up in a super small town and I just yeah for my whole life I mean this is the podcast has probably been the most successful thing that I've done I think when I moved to America and was filming that was quite successful as well but I think this is probably on a bit of a different a different level but I mean it's just it was that same thing like I just I I was like what else am I going to do am I going to stay here or I've always my whole life I've just been pushing for something like just going as long as I'm going towards something I felt there was happiness Mm -hmm. in that and that there was a reason to to exist and I think that I mean I don't know if it's the same for you but if you know to talk about philosophy it's like if you really go all the way down Mm -hmm. the rabbit hole of philosophy life is super meaningless no no you have to have a purpose yeah there's no point to be here like you're in this eternal blackness before you're alive and then you're alive and you have this experience and then you die and it's always I've always kind of known that's the timeline and it's like well there's this pointless life so do do something with this pointless life create some kind of meaning and I mean I, I don't know that 
I don't know that I care too much about legacy or being remembered it's because you, when you're not there, you're gone. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. Cause I, <laughs> you were no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know that yeah. I care about that. Like some people talk about legacy and wanting yeah, to leave something. Great. Like, I don't know that that's me. I just want to get the most out of doing what I'm doing and the idea of being like everyone else that was, bef- you know, in my town before. And I was just like, yeah. oh, that's kind of boring. Like, I just don't know if that appeals to me. I mean, for me, you know, it's, it was, it, it's, it was the way life was supposed to be. I mean, it was, mm. I was, uh, I wanted some, something bigger, you know, and I don't know why, but I knew there was something bigger. And I just had to find it. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, if my sport was the way I get it, it was drive me. Mm. And uh, winning was a way to get there. And basically I could, you know, I could exist somewhere because of it. And, mm. you know, that's that's why I didn't back down. That's why I pushed. And that's why I, I made way different choices that, you know, he was always pushing forward and pushing forward. But I think it was a reason, you know, a reason behind it mm. you know i rode the, uh, a dirt bike i got good at it uh then let's use it let's focus on it and and that's maybe my way of existing through through that and there's other guys who will do it you know to be better than their like i say their brother or or their father or you know or to get approval anything. from people uh, exactly yeah. or you know uh, because they are small because they are tall you know yeah. there's you know, all kind of people are mad yeah. about it, you yeah. know, and, and that's a way to canalize it and, and push it forward. And I think that desire from everybody is, it's it what makes a difference at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, like when, when time like are how tough. how bad do you want it? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, you know, why are you doing it? Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you realize why you're doing it, I think you find find it easy to do it. So I guess the I guess the another little topic I want to cover before we finish up is obviously the battles between you and Carmichael. So you were kind of the guy that came in and was able to hold it to Stefan, who was the goat of Europe in many people's eyes. Um, and then you go to the US. First of all, you win. I think you were the first rider, uh, European rider, to win the opener like the yeah, first yeah, so I you was, won Anaheim yeah. one yeah. so I mean that's it was Coliseum at the time oh, LA Coliseum that's yeah. right yep, yep, LA yep. Coliseum. so you, you immediately make a statement in Supercross in Europe but I think a lot of people remember you for the crazy battles that you had with RC many of them yeah so <laughs> what I guess do you remember from from that time period and I mean there's interviews I was listening before we started doing this there's interviews where Carmichael just straight up says, I had nothing for him. And I mean, maybe James, that's the only other guy that you'd ever hear Carmichael say that about on the podium. So, I mean, that's a pretty crazy error. Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, racing RC was, like I say, I was racing my, my mirror. So I think, you know, uh, it, it was... Um, it's is the toughest thing you ever have you know racing yourself and mm, that's and such a cool way to put it yeah i mean i know rc basically i knew him because he was like me yeah. you know and i knew and I, I knew how he was thinking i knew that he was was he was capable of doing and 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 push the limits and with no second thought about it and um, when you get a guy like that it's uh i mean 
it's a fight, you know, it's a fight. It's like it's a gladiator a flight, flight at that point. you know, it's, it's gladiator out there on the arena. And then, you know, we have our tools and let's go for it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I knew it was not even a question, you know, if he was going to be ready at each race or not, he was always going to be ready. And, um, and many years I, I i was leading the championship for the nationals for you know three five races and then he would pick it up on me and then you know i mean it, there's many things happen and i guess you at the end of the day he was a little bit better at the right time mm. and and that's that's the way it is you know he had the the right opportunity to to get it done maybe his setup was a little bit better than mine um, there's, it could be many reasons, you know. Um, I was a, I was born a fighter anyway, no matter what. So I was not gonna give up and, and not let him have it. And um, what can I say? I mean, we battled hard for sure. Uh, any conditions, any things. It was not a question of when or what. It was just a question I had to beat him. And there's many races where I won the first race and he won the second race and he got the overall, I didn't. And and that was, you know, a lot of things like that happened. But we were racing on the same level and I think it depends on the day, depend of, uh, you know, a racer is when you got two people on the on the highest level, there's not, not a lot yeah, so to slim. offset the balance. Yeah. And, um, and what what can i say i mean it's for sure i was dedicated uh for sure he was dedicated no question i mean we came you know we were teammates for bunch of years on top of it so that make it even harder mm. um but uh you know what was going on the track was on the track was off the track was off the track and we get along very well and there was never any issue between us and never you know a, a problem on that side um, I mean, for sure, I saw Red a couple of times when I raced against him and I wanted to kill him. For That was normal. But, you know, it's, it's through racing. And I'm, I'm sure it was the same for him. I mean, he was like, you know, I was the guy who could create a problem in his plan and he was the guy who created a problem in my plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, days, you know, switches. I think it's... Um, when you race, they switch who goes on and, and off. And sometimes it's the little difference who make a big difference at the end of the day. Yeah. But it was not a question of, you know, seeing that he was, uh, I mean, I see him doing stuff that I would like, fuck, if I was doing that in front, I mean, I would be like crashing my brain out and he walk away from it like nothing, like a feather. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's the way it is. You gotta do better, you gotta be better. And uh, that's, you know, I tried. And uh, well, you got the best at the end of it. But, um, I mean, I look up, I look it back and I have no regrets. You know, that's, that's the only thing that I can have is I knew I did my best and I tried. And that's, that's for me, that's what made me be able to, to sleep at night. You know, I was not giving up. I never did give up. And that was the way I was. And I just maybe uh you know i think through my racing in the u.s 
I did a couple mistakes, which was, I think, from being a European, going straight to the, the main class in Supercross was a little mistake that I did. And I should have gone to the light class first and do my classes in Supercross, racing outdoors, big bike, no problem. But racing Supercross in the light class would have been a good learning curve instead of going straight to the, to the 250 or 450. Which so, Chad ended up learning from that. Yeah, and I think that was the best, best thing they did. And uh, if you look at the European guys who succeed in the U.S., did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Ken Roxanne did it. Uh, David Willman did it that way. So I think that was a mistake on my part. But you um, don't know what you don't know. No, we don't know what you don't know. Or, or I was not. Um, I was hired to race the 250 uh, with Honda, and then they wanted a rider for the 250, and that's the way it was. Was that bike pretty terrible? Uh, I would say it was not my, the best bike I ever rode, for yeah, sure. Yeah, because I've got a 98 CR250, yeah. and the chassis is sitting in the roof of my dad's shed. We don't use it. It's Believe me, we raced with the first generation of chassis. Not even the... We, I, I rode Honda 99. We raced with the first chassis, I believe, was 97. Seven, yeah. Yeah, the Japanese didn't let us ride with the latest because they were scared of it. So we rode with the the premium chassis at the time. I mean, the first generation. The first alloy one? Yeah, it was a little bit stronger, so that's why. And the production rule allowed us to do it. And um, I mean, that was, I, I mean, I loved my years at the uh, factory Honda, uh, American Honda. That was, I think, one, um, I would say the best team I ever got into. I mean, the race team is an awesome always has been awesome i mean uh, best experience ever as a rider being part of honda was really nice i mean i had a really great experience when i was kawasaki in europe uh, because of Jan de groot who, who who was you know kind of my grandfather somewhere he took me yeah. under his wing when i yeah. was young uh, i mean i raced for him when i was barely 15 and still until i was uh, 19 um, but he was always like a grandfather and took care of me and, and that's something that you don't see anymore these days but as a professional team I mean Honda was by far the best um, I knew about it and a lot of people were like if you race Honda you have a lot of pressure on your shoulders and stuff like that and I didn't at all agree with that I mean uh, for me the the team was the best team they didn't put pressure on you they were there supportive uh, they made everybody equal in the team and that was a pretty amazing experience that's for sure so but the bike itself I mean my, I thought my Kawasaki was better at the time for yeah. sure so I've watched I watched those battles of Ricky on a Kawasaki and you on that Honda and I must imagine how much harder it would have been to ride that Honda RC won the following year on the Honda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what but year was he on the Honda though? Uh, 2009, 2000 maybe? Yeah. 99 or 2000? 2000. Did it go to, it went to a new frame then? Yeah, though. probably we did. Yeah, because that, I just know that that first frame is just a wild yeah, No, it was, gear. I mean, it's the same thing. It was the first experience of aluminum chassis. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a learning curve. You know, yeah. when you get something new, you have a learning curve. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, for me, Honda was, you know, very dedicated. Uh, the team uh, was very professional. I know that when uh, we get parts at the time from Japan, it was like, we're a bunch of riders. We had Kevin Windham, Ezra mm. Lusk, Mikel Pichon and me. So we were four Crazy guys. Crazy error. F I mean, the team was uh, Some of the best amazing. riders ever in yeah, one team. one team. 
and it was handled I mean, to the perfection, you know, when you would get uh, new parts, it was for everybody or nobody. Mm. And that was uh, the politic of Honda and, and the same thing for everything in house. It was like everybody get the same treatment. Everybody pushed the same way. There's no question asked. And that really matters? I think as a writer, yes, it does matters because you feel considered. You feel like, you know, they are doing the effort to make it possible. And on top of it, you had La Rocco who was also a factory mm, rider. Mm. So all this, I mean, we're five guys. And, uh, it's unheard of now. No, no, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this year you have KTM with all the guys coming in with the yeah, Kaoli true, coming huh? in <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, uh, Denji going back at it. So it's pretty impressive also. Um, but I think, you know, they knew how to manage things, definitely. And, uh, you know, and today, I mean, they have a great bike out there, you know, you see Sexton and, and Roxen and they, their bike is, I mean, I ride only their stock bike, uh, but I can see that's a great machine also on the, on the, on the other side. And, you know, the number of championships they're gaining with a team and, and it's been working really, really well for them. So, you know, it's today, I mean, I don't know, you know, many things changed in the time. I mean, I was racing with them in, in 2009, uh, so that's 20 years ago. So things have evolved. Uh, but I think the, the spirit of a team is always the, the same because that's the way they do things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you always, I guess, hear of HRC as being like the, the benchmark in, uh, in as far as like race teams go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know the MotoGP world, uh, I, I got the chance to go to a couple of them, but I don't know the guys, uh, so it's it's a little bit different. But um, and I mean, it's like every generation. I mean, you got you know you can look at Formula One. You know, Mercedes dominated for mm. years, and today Ferrari came back on top. I mean, it's I think there's waves. You know, race teams, and it's always been like that. And there's people pushing, and it's always the the, the race against development. And in a way, we are lucky with motocross mm. uh, because there is a, the motorcycle is a big part, but the mm. rider More is also rider a than, rider. Yeah. I mean, you can get a very talented guy who can make things work out. And uh, I think that that's where it's also important. Uh, it's a sport where, I mean, you get pushed to the highest level. I mean, you look at the guys, the European guys riding outdoors or the supercross guys uh, in the US riding supercross. Uh, they're amazing at what they do. I mean, I can I watch the race and, I, and I'm pretty amazed. And they are the best at what they do. And a lot of it is also their personal talent and their personal state of mind. Mm. You know, I mean, last year you couldn't see an Anderson or a Tomac out there on the front. And this year they were the two battling for the championship. Mm. And all that is for sure the motorcycle, but it's also the state of mind of the rider that make it possible. Mm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So Carmichael Everts was... Who was the harder for you to race? Was it Ricky? Uh, RC. RC because it was... It was me. just you. Exactly. <laughs> that was the hardest. I mean, Stefan was... Maybe I was uh, probably his uh, one of his hardest competitors because, uh, you know, I was so different. And I was... Uh, he, he couldn't... Maybe didn't expect me where I was or what I was doing. And uh, that was, you know, the difference with uh, RC. I mean... I moved definitely to a different country, so the people mm. around me were not the same one. He was on his own, you know. Uh, he was born in Florida, and or, and he was always out there. And um, 
he was for me the 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 one to uh, to beat. I mean, maybe things would have been different in the f if the first year I didn't get injured uh, when I crashed with Doug Henry and dislocated my uh, my my hand uh, when I was leading the championship with quite a bit some leads uh, lead point. So that would have maybe changed the way things are, but that's the way they were. Mm. And the following year, I mean, I battled with RC and and I was actually dominating uh, RC at the beginning until he got with uh, Aldon and Aldon program set him up straight and and he was able to get the, the best out of me at the end. Um, but it's, you know, the following year I went back and fight and uh, definitely didn't give him an easy piece. <laughs> I'm not a, the easy kind of type of guy. I'm, I'm a regular, I'm pretty chill, but when yeah. it comes to racing, I'm not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's it actually is crazy to be around you this last week, and just nicest guy, so humble, so polite. And then you watch the shit that you did on the bike, and you're just like, he was a fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but that's. I mean, I guess in a way, I was able to um, express myself to yeah, my sport. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what motocross was for me. It's like uh, an outlet. Exactly. You know, it was my world. And I could do what I decided, and I created my own world basically in it. And racing was basically that was me mm. all the way, you know, no, no filters. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but in life, I'm I'm completely different. I wouldn't say no. I'm not completely different, but I'm more uh, my education or the way I was brought up. Uh, make me more uh, I say easy to go around yeah it's funny though like I do uh, jiu-jitsu pretty seriously mm -hmm. and it's very aggressive it's a very very uh, hostile and aggressive environment when you're actually doing it but it's it's uh, and there's a it's funny like one of my coaches will say you're like a dog that you can beat the dog and then it walks back and it's wagging its tail and you're just looking at the dog like you're an idiot like this <laughs> <laughs> don't do this now you know but it's and but then in my personal life I've, I've don't, i don't ever want to get in a fight with people i don't i don't want yeah. any of the any of that but if you go into that environment that it feels it's so exactly it yeah. feels so good to be able to i guess express like that side of your personality because I guess maybe in a sense, if you showed that side of your personality in real life, you probably wouldn't be a very good person. I'll probably scare people off. <laughs> I would say, yeah. you know, there's, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the end, I think I'm the same guy. Yeah. But I guess my mindset, mindset is the same. But I know, I, uh, like, uh, it's not the way life is. And I'm, I'm pretty like aware of it, I guess. Yeah. And when I go into racing, you know, it's it was for me because I'm done with racing, but it was a way of just letting go out, do your thing. It's your own thing. Nobody around got to do uh, got do anything about it. You're responsible of what you're doing. If you want to take it this way, you can do it this way. If you want to go, you know, the other way. Why not? As long as you work, at the end of the day, what they ask you is the result. And um, I think a guy that you can see is like that is uh, Barsha. Mm. I mean, he doesn't care about whatever anybody thinks when he's racing. And, uh, you know, it, for me, the way he's racing is not the way of racing, but that's my personal opinion. But for him, he's free to do it. Mm. And he's 
I'm sure he's at peace and he can sleep very good at night without any problems uh, because that's he is able to do his racing the way he wants to do it. And, you know, well, a $3,000 fine is not much anyway for him. So he's free to, of getting it done. And and that's the way he is. And I'm sure he's a pretty chill guy. And I don't yeah. know personally, yeah. but I'm sure I'm pretty sure he's a pretty chill guy on the on the day to day things. What's your advice for him? I mean, he's doing his own career the way he wants to do it. Yeah. Um, he's been successful, uh, great. I mean, he's been one of the main guys uh, today and close to the podium. Um, what can I say? I don't know. I mean, I don't know him enough to be able to do a, a comment on that side. Uh, some of his uh, bo- uh, some of his moves are pretty ballsy. That's for sure. I can <laughs> give him that. That's no question about it. You know, I wouldn't do half of it. But you know that's his way of of racing, and he always raced that way. You know, mm. same when he was in 250F, and he, he, that's his way for him to let it out. I think, yeah. and uh, he exists for himself that way. So great if he's happy with it. That's the most important. Whatever people think, he, he shouldn't care. That's his choice. Nobody else can say anything about it. It's funny. Uh, I haven't thought about it in that context. I, I do know him. He's a super nice guy. You're right. He's I'm sure. Very chill, very funny guy. But yeah, I guess it's the same sort of thing, you know, like that's just the outlet. That's the version of him that is there on that bike. And that's probably just not another way that he can do it. No, for sure. I mean, I, I, when I d- retired and I decided to retire, I knew it was like, <clears throat> I'm, if I do the retirement, I'm not coming back anyway. And that's the way I was, and I was very sad on that. And But the weird thing is I don't need it. You know, I guess I got it out of my system. Mm-hmm. And it's only when, uh, because I did it for many years, and uh, for me I was successful too, and I was happy about what I did. Um, I don't need it today. I'm at peace with it. And, you know, you gave me to ride on the bike. I know what kind of rider I am. And I know my limits because I'm not a professional racer anymore. And um, I can, I don't have the miss, I don't miss it. Mm. Because I think I I did it and I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Please. And um, I'm fine. It's just like, you know, some racers, I feel like, they got to go back to it because they feel like it's an unfinished business. Mm. And um, sometimes it's, it's, it's good. Sometimes it's rough. Uh, you know, it's rare to see a guy coming back at it, performing as good as he was because the years that you're out, the, the guys are keeping progressing. And even if you have the desire, it's not the same thing, you know, and there's a big gap into it. So... I think at some point you have to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm done and I move on to something else and put that energy because it's a really a inner energy that you have into something else that it can be, mm. you know, a great thing because I, I think that a, a real racer have a lot of in, inner energy that they, they are capable of, you know, pushing things and moving things and they have to find another way to do it after their racing career yeah i think that's kind of the problem is that a lot of guys would be so focused and so committed on their career for their whole lives that they don't actually have anything else when it's all said and done and And that's that's a rough one yeah and i mean you can see it and i mean it kind of leads perfectly into into dungy coming back this season it's like Mm -hmm. he's been off six years and then he's i mean he's he's a great champion amazing champion he came out on top 
up and you know hats off and and early he retired early yeah early and with not too many injuries and um, I mean <clears throat> it's just I don't want it to be a shadow on him on his career but I'm not the one to judge and I'm not the one who make the decision if he made that decision that means he's he, he know the consequences he knows how he can go both ways or he can be the amazing guy who put it back on after two years or he can be a shadow that created and okay we'll forget about it and we'll just keep the six championship that he got um, but it's a, you know it's a ballsy move and and I hope he's, he's good but you know when you look at it you're going to have young guys who are going to race with him and you know Antonio said he retired but he never retired. Actually, he's mm. going to to the U.S. as a retired guy. But he's not a retired. I mean, last year he was racing World Championship. He was winning motos yeah, and, yeah. and races. So he just had a long off you cannot you cannot consider him as a retired man. So he still is in the move. So he has a good shot as you know going to the U.S. and doing great. But you're gonna have a lot of guys who you know Jason Anderson who comes out with a, with a great momentum. Uh, he finds his love is he's uh, back on his love with his life, which is the Kawi that he grew up with, and he was uh, amazing as a matter rider with it. So he's back at home. Uh, there's a lot of things like that. Who, I mean, you know, Roxanne will be back out, which is a great outdoor rider also. Mm -hmm. So it's for Dungey, it's a ballsy move, I think. I mean, uh, I know they they say will erase the first two. And same as Antonio, and then uh, no, nah, he's doing the dungeons on the whole season. I'm pretty okay, sure. so yeah. if he's doing the whole season, I don't season, know if that's public. I'm not sure. If I, that's I'm, known, I don't know, uh, but uh, but I'm sure if he does great on the first two, he will yeah. continue. If maybe if he does bad, he will stop. Or you know, same thing with Antonio. I mean, these guys have a way out if they want to. Yeah. Uh, but um, and KTM too. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's um, it's a big question mark. Um, but if he's coming back, I'm pretty sure he trained for it and he's confident. Uh, I haven't seen him ride. Um, I haven't been at the test track to know what he's doing. Uh, but I know he has serious guys in front of him who've been active all season and will be ready and waiting for him for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, mate, we've probably almost done four hours. Uh, so. No worries. <laughs> it's, it was funny. The time went by so fast. It, it goes by super quick. Yeah, uh, that's cool. There's a bunch of stuff we probably could uh, keep talking about, but we'll, yep. we'll finish this one off here. Maybe do a part two at some point. I would be happy to, maybe yeah. uh, when I come over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd yeah. Be a good sign. That'd so be, we can be in the studio. Yeah, that'd be sick to do it in, yeah. the, in the proper studio. I'd be studio happy to, and, yeah, for sure. And uh, congratulations at the Stark. Yeah, I've, thank you. I've it's, enjoyed uh, the experience so much. And yeah. You've done a fantastic job at this point when it's just this will be out on like june 10 and at this point it's still just a lot of hot air to people like oh look at these dudes hyping it's up like this bike but you know. i feel pretty confident in me saying that the thing's good and no but it, it. it's like everything you know you had the you always have the love and hate you know the tesla was the same thing and the people who hated the most are probably riding tesla today yeah and it, it's always the same it's a circle you you see it and um, you know, it's. I'm happy about what we did, and uh, we will talk about dedication. And Anton is a very dedicated man. I mean, he came from, you know, uh, I know a little bit of his life, and he did great with 24MX. And you can see we talked about a racer having, you know, that that fire and that desire. Oh, he's next level. He's the same. Yeah. Because you know, he he had a big accident when he was a kid, and they say that he will never run again. 
and yeah, uh, he runs five walk. k's in like sixteen. And minutes. now you know his goal was to to basically run a triathlon and and do all that stuff, and he did. And I show you the dedication of the person, you know, and and have a leader in your company that is that dedicated with that set of mind and achieve already with 24MX quite a bit and uh, quite a bit of success. It's a real drive. And, and I think for the company is also show that it's is the, just the beginning of a great future. I think too, just to touch on Anton really quickly, I mean, I did the podcast with him. I got a pretty good idea of him as a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did it for over three hours and then we actually spoke a little bit after as well that wasn't recorded. And I think I got a really good sense of him and then coming here to meet him as well. I mean, I've left here being like a fan of his and, and a fan of his in the sense of... Um, I guess I believe in him. I believe mm-hmm. in the company. I believe in him as the leader of a company. And I think it's also, I think it's also quite a unique thing for motocross to have a company with a face. No, for sure. I think it's. I think people are, don't understand the importance of that just yet. But I mean, you want to talk about having some skin in the game. Like when you've got a face that's talking to you yeah. about the product and that i mean and he his, rides. his neck is on the chopping block yeah. you know and so no, sure. there's no i mean i don't know mr yamaha I don't, you know what i mean <laughs> there's, for sure and, and i think that that there's a certain level of distance that you can have um from the consumer yeah, yeah it's very corporate it's just a it's you're talking to just a big building exactly as, a, as opposed to being able to like look a dude in the eye i mean if when and the fuck he's probably gonna get some shit man like when these bikes start coming out and there was a sensor issue with this test and it's like hey there's probably gonna be a sensor issue at some point in a production bike yeah, so we're trying everything to make it ob- you know the best obviously and that's always the the question you know and and always when parts come from a supplier you you don't control yeah. everything yeah. but it's the same for everybody you know everybody has recalls at some point and yeah but it would be uh, it would be good anyway at the end of the day that i know but i think the i guess the point i'm trying to make there is that what do you do you at yamaha or on instagram do you at, you know there's no <laughs> yeah for sure there's no yeah, for sure there's I no agree expectations on that one. there's yeah. no that's a guy that's a yeah. guy that no, you no. can message yeah, and yeah. It's, you know that's a it's a, a that's a double-edged sword i think that it shows some uh, there's some great aspects there i think that there's a real opportunity to build trust and build rapport with with people um but then that's also there's a direct outlet for people to aim all of their criticism and all of the you know there's, yeah. i know i agree like, but you know it's like is uh, very dedicated yeah and i think that dedication um it's uh, it's basically it drives everything, yeah. and uh, it drives the product that we're gonna push out, and uh, that's something that basically the face is yeah. a part of yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know. And yeah. that's exactly like you got a bike, you got a face, you know who created it, and it's it's the whole package. Yeah. It's 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 the way they wanted to build anyway the company. They wanted to do a, a very premium company with a heart to it. And that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm super stoked. I appreciate everything. Congratulations on it. Very, and, thank um, you. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to 
seeing where it goes and hopefully being a part of um, where it goes and uh, yeah it, we'll see it's, it's I'll race it I will be racing in September so yeah well that's David uh, the first one there so we'll see at the end we'll bring the product finish to the public that'd be cool that's something exciting for me it's like you know you did all that work and then you, you're able to do the, the point at the end of the line so that's good yeah sweet well thanks so much Seb. my pleasure bye bye bye